let's begin part two, shall we? And let's begin in other North America and an interesting story in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. A barbed wire match that was scheduled to take place in Calgary on April 15th was canceled by the city government's officials when public health officials called the match barbaric. Instead, it exposes fans and wrestlers to the risk of hepatitis B and AIDS. The promoters in the Calgary Boxing and Wrestling Commission called the match safe show business. The match was moved to April 16th for the Indian Reservation, reservation south of Calgary. Guessing that's well, the uh, Sarsi in the, uh, Reservation, I believe it was called, where, where Stu would run when he would get suspended. I guess, but... There's this. After the city of Calgary refused to allow the barbed wire match amidst much legal, local media publicity, Canadian Rocky Mountain Wrestling put on a show at a nearby Indian reservation on April 13th, which featured Jason the Terrible, Carl Moffat, and Steve Wilde in a barbed wire match. <laughs> Only drew around 100 fans. <laughs> we'll show you. Well, it's not like Stu's shows on the reservations drew well either. Yeah, but it's a totally different deal. I from well, I guess because Dave says moved on the 16th, and then reported about this match taking place on the 13th. Yeah. Okay. So I just searched newspapers.com for Canadian Mo- Ma- Rocky Mountain uh, Canadian Rocky Mountain Wrestling in 1994, and we do have the newspaper coverage. So uh, shall I? I guess. Go ahead. Let's see what we got here. Um, oh, so this is a Canadian press wire story from the 14th. Uh, there's a box-out quote from Ed Langley, the promoter, saying, You watch wrestlers and you think they're idiots. But there isn't one wrestler in the world today would step into a ring and jeopardize the, their health or the health of their opponent. We're not stupid people. That's one way to put that. I guess, yeah. Uh, Commission Chairman Lori Mills said, People think the two guys come out of it looking like hamburger. That's not true. Barbed wire matches are something people love to see, said Ang Langley. Um, city lawyer Alan Cunningham said he wants barbed wire matches outlawed in Calgary. You're promoting something that, at its very essence, promotes blood and gore. Uh, the licensing department checked other with other Canadian cities and were told it would never be approved in those cities. But Langley said the matches were popular in the United States and Japan. Then the quotes about wrestlers being idiots or not. Commission member said it. Quote: it, uh, This is Joe Johnson, J O. So I presume a uh, woman if you're spelling Joe that way, uh, called Barbara Iyer Wrestling, quote, a good show. Nobody gets hurt. It's ham acting. They could do a great, uh, excuse me, they could do a pratfall Charlie Chaplin would be proud of. Mike Gia Marco, who heads the hall that was to have the match last Friday, said a similar event held there last year was its most profitable. Wrestling fans are a special breed, he said. At times you want to, excuse me, you have to give them what they want. Uh... Langley said the match will now be held in front of a sold-out crowd Saturday, which would be the 16th, at the Sutina Indian Reserve south of Calgary. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, that was the Daily Herald Tribune in Grand Prairie. It looks like... Okay, they picked it up from the Calgary Herald. Uh, actually, no, the Calgary Herald article looks like it has different quotes. Let's see. Um, let's see, more from Ed Langley. Uh, barbed wire matches are something people love to see. We're not jeopardizing the community. The chances of any fan getting covered in blood at ringside is nil. You watch the wrestlers, and you may think they're idiots. And then, it, okay, then it goes into the same quote. So yeah, they picked it up from this story in a in a way, but not exactly. Um, 
this type of wrestling is not wanted in Calgary, agreed Ed Manson, a retired deputy police chief and non-voting commission member. Uh, 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 oh, the, oh, Ed Langley, they don't quote him directly, but mentioned that it draws crowds of 60,000 in Japan. Uh, okay, so you get the idea from there. And then let's see, is there anything in the follow-up articles or are there any okay so yeah so then there's one from the 18th in the calgary herald let's see wrestlers tenderized in barbed wire battle uh is this the front page okay no it's it's the front page of the city and life section uh, i've seen more brutal stuff on videos observed steven awashuk 11 besides he added knowingly all wrestling is fake yeah, take that. A uh, hundred fans of all ages, far from a capacity crowd, paid as much as eight dollars each to see the controversial match at the Tina. I guess that's how it's pronounced. Nation Reserve, just southwest of Calgary. Originally planned for Friday at the Victoria Park Community Association Hall, where similar event was held last year. Backs and arms were flecked with red reminders of their brushes with the barbs. Uh. It's not the massacre people claimed it would be, said Laurie Mills. Any other quotes? We would have liked uh, more people, said uh, promoter Ed Langley. People just don't understand wrestling. Yeah, I'll say that. He was still angry at the moment, of course. But well, anyway, there you it, go. It is weird, though. Like, you look at... So I don't know if other provinces were like this, but Alberta, at least. And I think this has finally changed, or at least in the process of changing with the issues they had with you know letting boxers compete when they shouldn't have relative to recent knockouts and stuff and i think it was in edmonton a few years ago but like the whole city commission thing is just bizarre isn't it it's a canadian thing i guess i guess so but anyway don't see that here it's all it's always state commissions here not city commissions so anyway that's canada let's go to mexico whether they have their own wild commissions. AAA, they return to Tijuana, which is right across the border from San Diego, which Dave attended for a TV taping on April 15th. Which sure set up 5,500 fans and turned away another 2,000. Think about this. Every time AAA runs a major show in the city, they sell out, partially because it's a small building. Yeah, it's at 3 p.m. the day of the show, there were only a few hundred tickets sold. At 7.15 p.m., there were lines down the street and thousands were turned away. You think next time people buy their tickets in advance to avoid long lines to get in and avoid the risk of being turned away? If you do, you're thinking far too logically to understand pro wrestling. One thing surprising is the crowd was amazingly well behaved with tons of young kids wearing masks. Much better behaved than most U.S. crowds are probably across between WF and Japanese audience, although there were tons more heat for the actual matches than either of them, although not as much as heat for the ring entrances as for the U.S. groups or for the finishes in the Japanese crowd. By the way... Isn't it really something that Dave just kind of expects us to intuit that he went to the show? <laughs> well, the thing is, is that to, to talk about the wrestling fans walk up thing. It's Lucha. Um, well, just Lucha. No, I, I, all the WCW TV tapings I would go to, always heavy walk ups. Always heavy walk ups. Mm. In fact, I, I was part of them sometimes. It was just a spur of the moment decision, you know? And I mean, you'd be lined up around the building, and then you see you get the people that would have their tickets already bought and reserved. They're going in through the other entrance willy nilly, you know, like none's going, like there's nothing there. 
but it's lined up everywhere for all the people start trying to get tickets. So that's not just not just a lucha thing, but uh, it was a wrestling thing in that era, especially. But lucha, especially. All right, uh, highlight was a match that pro- probably wasn't tape uh, with Zafiro, Brulate, and Diamante losing by DQ to Anhan Mortal, Gallego, and Mr. Condor in a four-star match featuring the fastest and crispest daredevil high spots back and forth you'll ever see. These are six of the most underrated workers anywhere. Comparable to watching the mid 90 Express and Rock and Roll Express 1986 and fast forward for more futuristic moves. Fans here reacted at the speed, though, so they aren't working too fast. It's almost like watching one of those faster-you-can-watch Harlem Globetrotters exhibition matches from decades ago. Only they had to spend 15 minutes before putting the ball in the basket. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say... <sighs> He ain't wrong, especially at this time, because, you know, in the 90s, you know, your newer Lucha fans watching AAA were not necessarily going to appreciate your great rudo base types like they would with Los Diabolicos. And uh, uh, Gamastel Ring were kind of looked at, understandably based on the gimmick and the outfits, as ripoffs of uh, Los Metallicos. Yeah. So, yeah, they were really underrated, and... You know, on paper, of course, this was a great match. And we should mention, too, it's uh, Briante is Andrade's father, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. And he has a similar style to his dad and his uncles, too. Yes. All right, the Meanies following were good, but they've had better matches. Then the Payasos uh, went up against El Torero, El Mexicano, and Fantasma, who works like an American. Payasos matches are much better live than on television. They were strong, but that match is only two stars. Best match is another four-star trios match with Huichal, Misterioso, and Fazagarera against Rey Mysterio, Rey Mysterio Jr. and Volador, with the show stolen by the local top feud of Rey Sr. and Huichal, and they had an intense brawl to the seats with tons of juice and great heat, complete with Huichal giving Rey Jr. a low blow, then faking like he even gave him a low blow to gain a cheap DQ win that built his heel heat to a fever pitch. When Ray challenged him to a Caballero Contra Caballero match next week, but he walked out rather than accepted. Main event was good, but distracting eight man with heavy metal. Chief J. Conan, complete with headdress and war paint. Io de Santo and Pedro Aguayo against La Parca, Sicosa, Slub Machine, and Jerry Estrada. First fall was really hot, but second fall turned more to the machine fighting more with Sicosa and Parca since they turned on one another in Los Angeles last month and aired on Mexico the previous week. And they sold it from the starting match. And more of the Technicos standing around watching the Rudos brawl with each other before winning the second fall. It's a great house show, although the Chicago show was better. So, uh, other results on this show. Uh, El Puma and Piloto Suicida won by countout over Rocky Boy and Ultra Tumba. And the minis match was Mascarilla Sagrada, Otagoncito, and Vorrocito over Estrechito, Facito Carrera, and Piratito Morgan. Uh- and, had no, and real quick, they had no TV taping during the week in uh, Zacatecas, where we had the Dia- in front of 5,500 fans as well. Uh, Diabolicos beat Brillante, Diamante, and Zafiro. Mayflowers, Pimpinella Escalada, and Reña beat Rocco Valente, Tony Arce, and Volcano. Then the Piazzos beat El Fantasma, Io de Lismar, and Mascara Sagrada. And then our main event was. Uh, <clears throat> Black Cat, Chicago Power, and Love Machine over Io De Santo, 
Octagon, Emperor Aguayo Sr., were Love Machine, Barry Perro under American flag after the match. Now, Los Chris, Locos getting heat. Chris, I know you don't want to because it's mostly a lesser, quote-unquote, lesser, I guess, version of the team, but call the Rudo team by their proper name. Los Gringos Locos. I did. I said Los Gringos Locos. Oh, I didn't tag. hear you say it. Okay. At the end. At the end. Oh, okay. name and, I didn't... Yes, because Black Cat, Chicano Power, and uh, who else? Who was the other secondary member? It was uh, King Lion. Spicoli. Right? Well, Spicoli, yeah. Madonna's, Madonna's boyfriend. Right. Part this, of is that. The, this is the point where just anyone who is not Mexican gets starts getting thrown in because of pretty much. Japanese tours and other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, it's a hot period for AAA here, and... Uh, if you want to show, you know, some 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 really solid matches on there. So, yes. Um, what else was I going to say? Want to say about this? Um, something I'm blanking on. Yeah, Conan uh, Conan's brief uh, Native American era was interesting. <laughs> well, was he doing that, or was he doing an Azteca deal? I Azteca guess, deal. but he's also not Mexican. So, well, no, but. Still, well, it's also, Conan. Who knows? I I had forgotten that they started expanding Gringos Locos before Conan was in the group too. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think of it. I think of the NWOification of Los Gringos Locos being after Conan turns heel, but clearly not. No. All right, CMLL. We start the week at Arena Coliseo on April twelfth. We have Super Angel and Javier Roca over Astro Junior and Tigre de Oro. Baby Richard, Buffalo Savaje, and El Cafre over Olimpico, Olympus, and Ultimatum. Los Sombra, not uh, Andrade, uh, Tino with Mascara Magica and Oso Negro to be Arcanjal de la Muerte, Guerrero de la Muerte, and Panico by disqualification. Cachorro Mendoza, El Marnaca, Javier Cruz, and Toronto Negro over Sicano Ramirez, Pantera, and Rigo Mendoza. And Hakimate, Javier Yanez, and Sagre Chicana over Brazo de Oro, El Brazo, and El Dandy. But the big show of the week was Friday night in Mexico, of course, on April 15th, where they had a Grand Prix tournament won by Emilio Chavez Jr. beating La Fiera. And what was scheduled as a 16-man international Grand Prix singles tournament, which Jorge Alisco Jr. won in the finals, pinning King Haku after two power bombs. Actually, the tournament consisted of 15 wrestlers as the company dropped top draw. Vampiro Casanova was injured in the Battle Royal opener to determine the pairings. Hmm. He was injured by Perov and Black Magic and was carried out. Miguelito Perez was the best in the tournament, including shocking everyone with a clean pin on Atlantis in just three minutes. However, he eventually lost to King Haku. All right, let's go over the tournament here. Uh, first match, non-tournament match, America 2 and Panico over Metallico and Solar 2. Then our tournament. And what a lineup first we match, here. Yeah, first match. King Haku over Ultimo Dragon. <laughs> sure. And then Vampiro, who got injured in the Battle Royal, lost by forfeit to Yamato, Tiger Chung Lee, Kim Duck, Tiger, Tiger, Tiger Taguchi. Sure. Jesus. Then you have Miguel Perez Jr. over Super King, Atlantis over Corazon de Leon, Chris Jericho, Brazo de Plata over The Killer, Dr. Weather Jr. over... Grab Marcus Jr., Pedoff over Norman Smiling, Black Magic, and then 
Radelisco over Poppy Kekas in the first round. Poppy, 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 Poppy Kekas. Yes. Quarterfinals, Miguel uh, Jr. over Elantis. King Haku over Yamato. Raya over Perov. And Porky over Dr. Wendler Jr. Semifinals, Haku over Miguel Perez Jr. Raya over Plaza de Plata. And then Raya over Haku to win the torneo. And then Emilio over La Fiera to take his hair in a Capiata Coach Capiata match. Sure. Oh, these Grand Prix tournaments, especially in this era. Oof. Well, they're never that good anyway. Even nine, uh, 97 is the one with the really loaded lineup, and the matches are so short that it's just pretty nothing anyway. Yeah, but yeah, this is the dark ages, so to speak, of CML we're in. Although, I mean, 10,000, you know, this is also the 38th anniversary of Arena Mexico. Different from the Anniversario show. This is Which the is the anniversary of CMLL, yeah. Well, EMLL, before they became CML, yes. The Luteralls, you know, when they began promoting. So this promotion, yes, 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 yes. Yes. Now, this one is interesting. Arena Pista Revolution on Saturday, April 16th. We get this result from Chris Jericho's book, of Complete List of Jericho. But the interesting part is what's listed here as the crowd attendance. Elantis of a Corazon de Leon, 8,000 fans. Hmm. Now, I don't know about that. <laughs> what does that building hold? I don't know if it held 8,000 fans. The little I've seen in the Pista Revolution shows did not look like it held 8,000 fans. More like yeah. maybe 5,000 fans, but not eight. Yeah. Um, also, this is actually the first Grand Prix that we just talked about. As I pulled it up on uh, Pro Wrestling History, yeah, boy, or some of do some of these have weird lineups, including 1995 having Johnny Gunn losing in the first round to Headhunter A. Yeah, that jabber, Tom Brandy. All right, Arena Coliseum, the 17th, front of 3,000 fans, also from the complete this Jericho. Atlantis retained the CMLL heavyweight title over Mano Negra and Corazon de Leon, King Haku and El Tejano over Tata Wanda Jr., Miguel Perez Jr., and Yamato. And then Arena Puebla on the 18th, Atlantis and Rayo defeated Tatamanda Jr. Miguel Perez Jr. by disqualification. And then uh, Super Porky retained the CML heavyweight title over Perov. Hmm. Now, UWA, crowds have picked up greatly over the past two weeks with all the interpromotional matches against AAA. There you go. That's why. The return to El Torreo on uh, April 17th drew about 8,500 fans. Four times the usual crowd these days. And the house itself was the biggest in two years for a tag tournament consisting of several UWA and AAA teams, which came down to El Signo and Negro Navarro beating Latin Lover and Io de Mark in the finals. The biggest angle came underneath when Jari Estrada and Fosagarera faced the Vianos, three and four. Love Machine, who wasn't even booked on the card, hit the ring and attacked the Vianos, bringing out Viano 5, who's been out of action since early March with a spinal injury, suffered in New Japan. That doctor told him should have been a career ender. Although no, I believe he actually retired, and he made the save. This set up an eight-man tag as the main event on April 24th with Connect team with the Vianos to face Estrada, Hueza, Machine, and Conan, which is unique since both teams consist of the top technical of each promotion team with three heels that they usually feud with on their own promotion shows. And these promotion versus promotion matches at the UWA Weekly Cities, the local crowds vociferously cheered the regular wrestlers against the visiting television stars, no matter who the Technicos or Rudos were supposed to be. Although Torreo, the fans did pop for the AAA Technicos when they did their hot moves. 
All right, let's look at the results of this show, shall we? A500, we have Colorado, El Hero, and Toretto over Aguilar Negra, Bucanero Jr., and Cassandro. And then we have a uh, we have this uh, tournament here where we don't have all of the uh, the tag matches. We have a list of the people that's involved hmm. here. Um, Connect, Signo, Fuerza, uh, Hakon Dorado Jr., Jerry Estrada, Latin Lover, Lise Mark Sr., Negro Navarro, Angel Azteca, Odaz, Dos Caras, El Mexicano, Fishman, Heavy Metal, Ildi Lismar, Carlos Fugardi Jr., La Parca, Masacre, Mascara Año 2000, Mascara Sagrada, Pero Silva, Pirata Morgan, Satanico, Scorpio Jr., Shua Guerrero, Solar, Super Muñeco, The King, Tigre Canadiense, Torero, Transformer, Universo 2000, Viano Tercero, which leads to the semifinals, where it was Latin Lover and Lismarck over Fuerza and Jerry, Signo Navarro over Kanek and Hakon Dorado Jr., and then Signo Navarro over Latin Lover and Lise Mark. Uh, you can see why these UWA shows are going up. Look at the list of talent that's working these shows that, you know, that AAA is, you know, sending in. Hmm. A lot of top guys. Yep. And bring new life into UWA, although it doesn't last very, very long. Yeah. Double power, brother. Double power. Now, the AAA wrestlers are on these shows are working on a percentage rather than their guarantees, which has some of them mad because they're earning less money per show than their normal pay, and they believe they're doing this promotion a favor and keeping a nearly dead promotion alive and taking a pay cut to do so. The argument is they're being booked for several more dates each week, so even though they're earning less per show, they're actually earning more in total per week. Fix, how do you feel about that rationale that they're selling these guys? I mean... I've heard worse arguments about why wrestlers are being paid certain things, certain ways, but I'd like a better point of comparison of an idea of what these guys' guarantees were and what they were making on a percentage basis, too. Um, well, because also, at this point, outside of these shows, how much is the office booking guys on outdates? And how much... It all depends. Well, it all depends. You and know, how much is I, office I, I, shows? Well, AAA is not – no, they don't have office house shows. Very rarely. They they're all TV everything tapings. is okay. – they're TV tapings, and they'll work with spot promoters. And you'll have spot promoters that run, you know, majority AAA, like Monterey. And, you know, in some places like that, they'll run, you know, majority AAA wrestler shows with a few locals on the undercard. But, yeah – it's not it's not CMLL, which you know they have all their buildings that they run on the regular basis. So it's just it's just independent shows. AAA just runs their TV tapings. That's the only AAA shows there is. Yeah, right, and the guys are getting booked through the office though for the independent shows, right? Oh yes. Okay. Basically, yes. So, yeah, but I can see why they'd be pissed off about that though. Yeah. All right, Connect had a singles match against Sin Caras and. Pashuka on April 19th, Drosel 2500, with Mascara Año 2000 interfering for disqualification. And Connect pinned uh, Masca Mascara Año 2000 Arena Neza on the 22nd, which joined Drosel 2800 fans. And Arena's, they've been doing 300 and less of late. Yeah, I mean, that's a hell of a jump, mm -hmm. you know? So so these, 
these smaller buildings like Arena Aficion, Arena Neza, they're really benefiting from this. Mm-hmm. Now, on April 20th, they shot an angle at Arena Lopez Mateos in Tlanepantla between Io de Santo and Gran Hamada. Hamada was even put on the card, but was at, at ringside as a fan arguing with Santo and eventually hit the ring and ripped up Santo's mask. Is this the first time he'd ever That's been a rude out? No. Okay. He, he had never worked work in Mexico before. That's a rare angle, though, in Mexico. You know? The, you don't see that type of angle there. This guy isn't put on the car and he's antagonizing the babyface as a fan. Or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a rare angle. I'm doing that on a house show. <laughs> very, yeah? Very rare. Interesting. So, uh... Yeah, UWA. Uh, out of the two, se- out of the, the all the lucha sections this week, the most interesting of them. How about that? Well, double power. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's go back to the United States in the indie scene, and Bo's back with us as well. But first, we start off with a non-wrestling story in a way. In the sixty-minute segment on April seventeenth, about Rick Elvis Parker, a boxing promoter, calling the called in the piece the missing link between boxing promoters and wrestling promoters since he's being investigated for fixing fights. Among those interviews, Clement Parker had fixed fights were Rob Russin, a sometimes wrestling promoter, and Derek Dukes, a sometimes wrestler based out of Minneapolis. Both men said that Parker would look for opponents to take dives, not just guys who couldn't fight, but guys who going in knew they were being paid to lose to build up winning records for white heavyweights in hopes of building them into one into one to into one marketable payday. The Duke's Mark Gassino fight in 1991 was brought up with both saying that Dukes went in and was told to take a dive as soon as possible. Russell said they used a wrestler because many wrestlers have the pin me as long as you pay me philosophy. Duke said he was paid $600 and lost as soon as possible, which was 18 seconds. The Duke's Gassino fight caused a lot of major media interest for about a week since Jay Mariotti in the defunct National Sports Daily and he talked with Dukes up at the airport the day after where Dukes admitted taking a dive and saying if it was legit, it, he, he could have beaten Gasto. Dukes, Parker, and Rustin all vehemently denied it was even possible Dukes could have talked to Mariotti because he was someplace else and all the time claimed the fight was real, as did the athletic commissioner in Virginia who claimed to investigate the allegation of a fixed fight. With Parker under investigation, they've changed their story. The story gave the impression that a lot more Boston matches are fixed than one would normally think. An assertion of several wrestlers who have done some boxing, usually in the taking the dive role, have also maintained. What's interesting about this is that one of the highest rated TV shows in the country, on one of the highest rated TV shows in the country, a wrestler was openly talking about how in wrestling school he learned to take bumps from fake blows. Gave an example when a reporter threw a pull punch and he took a big wrestling bump from it. And it was openly talked about wrestling as being predetermined. And not only will it have no effect whatsoever on the pro wrestling business, but nobody even freaked out over it. Years ago, the mentality would have been that the wrestling fans saw that business would be dead the next day. Today, it means nothing. It has no impact. Real versus fake is no longer an issue in this business, and people not believing has nothing to do with them not attending. Nor does people believing have anything to do with them attending. Although there is everything to the ability of making them suspend disbelief when they are watching on television and once they are there. But you're perfect to talk about this one. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how different things are, even in the mid-90s at this point, when something like this is going on compared to Eddie Mansfield 10 years earlier. Yes. Um, and real quick, I do want to add to, 
Um, this is on YouTube. We're not going to play anything from it because A, we have enough clips as it is in this segment. B, we played from it pretty extensively when we covered the week of the quote unquote fight. Uh, I think I now, was but... on. Your... I think I did the week of the fight or I remember listening because it happened. The fight happened in Roanoke. Yeah. And the commissioner they're talking about is Doug Beavers. And I knew Doug very yeah. well. Uh, he actually, in 2000, there was a expose on the boxing business on ESPN, and Doug was a key part of it, of how he took payoffs and how fights were fixed. And there was video, and, and there was an uh, uh, undercover thing where they got even Don King in the hotel room talking about it. Um, which led to Doug being removed from the athletic commission. And it also made the athletic commission in Virginia go from a athletic commission to a department of occupational regulations over this fight, but it took six years to do it. And, um, wow. now they're, they're in a whole nother mess right now in Virginia over a UFC fight where a guy either was put in ICU in a coma or died or something. I remember hearing about it last year, but it's, it's a mess going on in Virginia now with the DPOR. Um, look folks, if it's on TV and money's involved, it's a work. I don't care if it's fighting. I don't <laughs> care if it's whatever. Uh, <laughs> there's too much money to be made won and lost and on a chance. So, all you need is one person in on it. All you need is an official or the other fighter. The guy fighting don't have to know his opponent's taking a dive. But Duke's made it so obvious because Roanoke's only a couple hours from me. So when that fight happened, it was on the – and at the time, the WBO was a big thing in uh, – Bristol had a sports arena built on the complex of the – racetracks and they had the sports arena and they had live boxing that was shown on USA and ESPN in the nineties. Mark Carrier was a local fighter. His dad owned the Bristol raceway. Wouldn't you know it? Mark was the WBO world champion. Um, <laughs> so it was a big kind of story here about, so it was, it was covered on the local news. And I remember seeing him take the bump and think, dude, how obvious did you just fall down? You don't have to take a wrestling bump. <laughs> And he you know. takes a particularly, like, obvious pro wrestling bump. Not only does he go flying, oh, yeah. he very emphatically, he, he does not make an effort to hide sla when he slams his arms down to distribute the impact. Yeah. But then oh, you have, but oh, then yes. you have it, this it, whole, it, yeah. But then you have this whole thing here where Dukes is showing all this stuff to the reporter, and it's like, like Dave says, I mean, you're totally exposing the business here, and nothing said about it. Nobody cares. It's 1994. We're, but it's 1994. We're already removed past the current affair with the gorilla and Jesse sitting there. We're removed past Hulk Hogan on Crook and Chase saying, "Hey, folks, it's just entertainment." But the We're thing into is, a different though, time. From yeah. Yeah, in certain areas, both, and this is why you know I went to you. You know, I want you to talk about this because, yeah, in the mainstream, it's definitely like that. Going in these small towns, they still believe. Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> still. 
still well, believe that they ain't watching 60 at Minutes. Least, at least they want to. Yeah. Um, they come with the intentions of, of the two and a half, three hours I'm here, I'm going to believe what they're doing. And if you, you can make them believe, that's great. Just don't insult their intelligence, and they'll keep coming back. Um, but and the thing with Mansfield too, a lot of it was a, a lot of it was looked at because it was Eddie Mansfield. Yeah, he uh, wasn't a likable guy. Right, and it was looked at as sour grapes. He didn't get his break that he thought. Uh, everybody else says he got exactly where he should have been, and he went out to hurt the business. And the Here they're trying Andy, to hurt boxing. Yeah, and the thing about Andy Mansfield is, is that you go back and look at what he did in his career. Everywhere the guy went, he did get some type of push. He was the TV champion in Florida. He was uh, I forget which belt he held in Georgia. He had a belt in Georgia. He was a main event guy in Southwest. Tag I mean, the guy here with Dave Schultz in, in Knoxville. Yeah, he had a he had a run in Los Angeles, uh, where he yeah. was a kind of a top guy there. So the guy got he got pushes, but he had other issues that caused him. To be he, where he, he got the spot. He got the spot that the, the bookers and promoters believed that he got he deserved. Nothing more, yeah. nothing less. Exactly. You know what my favorite? You know, I mean, oh, good. Oh, you, okay. you, I mean, you could take a guy like George South. Who doesn't have any bitterness in him whatsoever? So happy, so excited. Rocky King that just passed away, same way. They were so thankful and so happy for what they got. They made a good living doing something they loved. And, yeah. you know, they knew, hey, we're not really getting beat. Uh, it's not up to us. I'm going to enjoy this and ride it as long as I can. Yeah. Oh, what I was going to say ahead, there was. My favorite Eddie Mansfield thing from all the media he did, because remember, it wasn't just 2020. There were the, you know, the Ray Didinger uh, newspaper feature series that got syndicated nationally. There was other TV, including him and Jim Wilson on, uh, what was the show they did with Luthen? It's called America Talks Back, I think. Oh, yeah. Which I I have on a tape. I have it. I have that on a tape somewhere. Please digitize that, by the way. I think you got. I forgot about that. I think you, did you get that from me or did you get it somewhere else? I got it from Charles Warburton. Okay. Please digitize it. It was that. on the back end of a Mid-South tape. Okay. Please, yeah, please. I have the same tape. Okay. One of you, please digitize that, because I've wanted to see that again, and I haven't in a long time. Bo may have a, Bo may have a better chance of doing it than me right now. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say. but um, I, I'll, look, I'll look and see, um, see if I can find it. But anyway, the reason I bring it up is, yeah, the, the big famous moment is Luther is pouring the uh, jug of, not jug, the pitcher of water over Wilson's head. But another thing that happens yeah. is when Mansfield is given a spiel about how he lost a hair match and they sold his hair in baggies to the fans and he didn't get a cut of it. And Fez just, his reply is just, uh, you got a lot of problems, man, if you'd let someone do that. <laughs> yeah. Alright, let's move on. Tri- Triple WA. After a false start last weekend when he didn't appear at the scheduled show in Essex, Maryland over a dispute about first-class airfare, Sid Vicious made his first appearance since his British hotel room brawl and injuries in late October. As he appeared in Atlantic City on April 16th for the WWWA 
getting DQ'd against Tito Santana in a show that featuring one heel DQ finish after another, including one in a no DQ match. Brutus oh, Beefcake God. subbing for Road Warrior Hawk, who was advertised, even though he's booked to Philadelphia to send that for ECW, pin nails in the main event to win the Triple WA title. This, t- this show took place at the Taj Mahal, the Trump Taj Mahal in Atlantic City, and it was the brawl at the Taj Mahal. Listen to these results. Johnny Gunn, that jobber Tom Brandy over King Kalua. Triple WA women's title, Misty Blue defeated Rusty Thomas to win the title. Little Leprechaun over Little Ninja. Rip Martell over Abdul to Butcher by disqualification. Jim Messenger and Derek Domino over Axe and Blast, the new demolition by disqualification. Tito Santana versus Vicious by disqualification. Jack Hammer over Jim the Anvil Neidhart by disqualification. And then Brutus V kick over Nails to win the Triple WA Heavyweight title. Oh, my God. Um, okay. <laughs> so I remember it's around this time. I don't know if it's this show. PWI and its sister magazines would run WWWA results in their results sections. Chris, I'm sure, remembers this. Um, mm-hmm. Bo might too, because he's sending in results. And I remember one time out of nowhere, you know, he hasn't been WWF in close to a year. And, um, sorry, got a text message. Um, hasn't been WWF for close to a year, and he's just been kind of out of the spotlight. And all of a sudden it's results, you know, you see results with him being a regular, or at least, you know, at first just a result with him in this random Northeast Indie. And I remember calling, because I think it was towards the end of their run, the, uh, I always forget what the name of the show was, but the uh, the wrestling radio show that was on every Saturday on uh, Adelphi University's radio station and asking Dave, I remember calling in and asking Dave Piledriver Schwartz if that was really Brutus Beefcake. And I don't remember if he said for sure that it wasn't, but he definitely indicated as much. And then, no, it turned out it actually was Brutus Beefcake. How low were you at this time when you calling in? Nine. <laughs> <laughs> was, oh my was, goodness was there not a result from a northeast indy on last week's uh show with martell and butcher not last week's not to, not, not against each I other was, I, I remember that i was thinking they were on that big show that the road warriors and, and they were on at some college you talked about last year. Last no, week. that was pro, that, that was a Pearls and USA show. So no, that wouldn't have been Abdullah. Oh, okay. But, so, oh. Uh, but yeah, this is Sid's first match since uh, since the Arn incident, really. Um, and here he is. I mean, t- working for WWWA, <laughs> and he'd be going to Memphis again full time right after this. So there's that. But uh, good lord, what a show this is. Now, Mark Bodie of ACW wants to make clear he's not affiliated with Dennis Coraluzzo, even though the two are sharing talent for shows this coming weekend. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Bix, why is that? Because Dennis is Dennis, and uh, nobody wants to be officially acknowledged as working with him? I don't know. So sharing talent, in, I presume in this context, means they're doing an early flight split. Early, as far as that being Probably. a thing for indies. Yeah. Something. I, it's probably that ACW is such a new 
promotion, I guess. I don't know, but oh, Northeast wrestling drama. Always yeah. something. Speaking of Eastern Championship Wrestling. The fact that at least a limited agreement was reached between WCW and ECW became evident at the ECW Arena show on April 16th, Philadelphia, during a match between Terry Funk and Sabu. The cars were originally scheduled as Funk versus Mr. Hughes and Sabu versus Mr. Opponent as two supporting matches underneath Shane Douglas versus Roll Warrior Hartford ECW title, which was an eventual match with a heel DQ finish took place early in the car. The crowd was down a few hundred from the full houses the past few major shows, with 890 paid. Down a few hundred picks from 890. And the 1994 version of ECW Arena picks. Well, I mean, this is before they added the bleacher, a lot of the bleachers and stuff. So, yeah, who knows? After Mr. Hughes cost the Bruiser Brothers a tag team title match against Public Enemy, Bruisers attacked Mr. Hughes twice, second time on the way to the ring for this match, leaving him unable to wrestle. Paulie eventually clocked Funk with a telephone, and Sabu, brought out by three mass handlers on a gurney, wound up wrestling Funk. They had their typical four-and-a-quarter star brawl for 12-28, complete with a broken table and pile drivers on chairs. Funk put the spin into a hold on Sabu when one of the masked men interfered. However, Funk beat him to the punch and amassed him, revealing the Rock and Rebel. And he seemed to be a regular mid-card wrestler. Same scenario happened a second time, with Funk unmasking another handler as a fall guy who just ran off. As this was about to happen a third time, Funk was distracted, and the masked wrestler gave him a neck breaker and a forearm drop off top rope, and Sabu pinned Funk. At this point, 911, a large monster-type undercard wrestler, being groomed for a program with Hawk, my goodness, blocked the Bayface dressing room as Sabu, the masked man who dangerously amassed as Bobby Eaton, and dangerously continued to attack Funk when promoter Todd Gordon tried to interfere. He took an obligatory bump courtesy of Eaton and dangerously started pounding on him. Finally, Arn Anderson showed up in clean house and set up a May 15th show with Sabu and Eaton against Funk and Arn. The story behind this is WCW won the work with ECW Northeast to aid in promoting Slamboree in Philadelphia, plus as revenge against WF for aiding Smoky Mountain for cards in Marietta, Georgia. Gary Juster, who has become Bischoff's right-hand man in many aspects, offered Todd Gordon any wrestler. And in return, proposed a deal which included WCW gaining four weeks of one ad per show for Slamboree on the ECW show. In an interview with Funk, plugging his match with Tully Blanchard to Slamboree on the show. WCW offered to put some ECW wrestlers on their TBS shows for a few weeks to build up an ECW feud. But that proposal was turned down. Why, you may ask? Dangerously, it was a lot of bad blood with WCW's hierarchy, in particular Bill Shaw and Bob Dew, because of how his dismissal and post-dismissal legal action was handled, initially didn't want to make the deal. But asked for Steve Austin and Brian Pillman first, with Pillman to be Sebu's mystery opponent on the show. WCW turned down the request, not wanting Otis to be injured for Spring Stampede next day. But this sent Arn and Eaton to the show to the angle and several weeks worth of interviews leading to the May 14th show. Gordon is also interested in booking Ric Flair and or Katniss Jack for future dates. Although apparently nobody else has even been asked about it. He said he's also planning on becoming a regular weekend promotion rather than one show, one TV tape per month outfit. As starting in June, the plan is to run shows every Friday and Saturday night throughout the Northeast, which will require getting television in numerous new markets. Now, the torch talked to Alan Sharp yet again. They got a lot out of him this week. According to WCW spokesman Alan Sharp, the agreement is short-term for now, but depending on how this agreement benefits both sides, there could be further associations. ECW management, who were against work, any work agreement with WCW, agreed to this deal because of the potential value of having Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton on their events and given the limited nature of what WCW is asking for in exchange. 
Here, Bix, Paul, cutting off his nose to spite his face because of his past issues with Bill Shaw and Bob do when they could have made a deal with WCW at this time that would have been very beneficial for his promotion. You mean like when he refused to get a Monday night primetime or whatever it was? It was, what was it, Monday night on our week where, I forget if it was Raw or Nitro that was off. I think it was Nitro. Um, TNN offered him a primetime special the week that the vid- first ECW video game was coming out and he allegedly turned it down. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't yeah. want to do something that was TNN's idea, I guess. <laughs> and then the weird side effect of this, too is the name of the show with the big tag match with Arn and Eaton is When Worlds Collide. You <laughs> yes. names the AAA show When Worlds Collide. And then Paul threatens legal action as the settlement is getting uh, initially Austin and uh, Sherry for the November 19th show. And it turns into when Austin gets hurt, Pillman and Sherry. Oh, and Sullivan, too. Forgot Sullivan. But- <sighs> i'll tell you paul Heyman is his own worst enemy as far as business dealings you know it's insane well okay 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 do we think it's pop oh no i mean dave would be talking enough to zane bresloff that he would have the wcw side since those are zane's probably biggest confidence in wcw uh, bischoff and juster so i'm assuming he's getting this from both sides so if WCW is offering all of this to mm-hmm. a company that at this point, let's be realistic, is not much yet. No, they're not even, as Dave said, they're not even running weekly. And they don't have TV anywhere other than Philly at this point. No. Nope. Really, their buzz has not picked up in a big way yet. I would say that's more over the summer, right? Yes. Really, well, it really with, starts when it really starts when Shane throws the belt down. Shane starts the throwing the belt down, blows it up. But you know the the uh, Funk's teaming up, Sabu Cactus, like that yeah. that you know that stuff. Like in late May into June, that really picks things up. Yeah. So like, why? Or is Paul just so invested in the image he's trying to cultivate? But he still has the wrestlers coming in anyway. So at that point, what is it? Just he doesn't want it to I be over. I've image yet, Bix. This is April. We're not. We're not in extreme touch of wrestling. No, yet. but not extreme. I don't mean the extreme. I mean the alternative anti-establishment kind of stuff, which is already going on. Yeah, kind of. You know, I mean, the, remember the February show was called the night the line was crossed. After all, yeah. so. strange. Do you really think this is just all, the bad blood on his side, or do you think there's something deeper or something else? They offered they offered to put these guys on TBS and probably promote them as ECW guys. I think part mean? of it, though, Go well, ahead. you know, now that I think about it, part of it, though, may be him knowing what's going to happen with Hogan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, whatever and, you want to say about Paul, he's someone who probably would be able to see what happened coming. That his guys, as soon as Hogan got there, you must forget about it. Uh, yeah. I, well, that's a good point. Too. Uh, more broadly, 
is he also reading the situation and realizing that Hogan's going to take them in a direction where he can really push what he has in mind conceptually? Impossible. Okay, I did just realize something else that we need to consider. And I'm surprised it's not mentioned here. WWN is still in play at this point. Yes, it is. Is he not wanting to put Sabu, Shane Douglas, whoever, on someone else's national TV because of that? You're exactly right. I was thinking that, too. How is it that neither Wade nor Dave thought about that? Yeah, I know. I tell you what's funny here, Bo, is how about Just real quick, we can agree that's actually a fairly legitimate reason on his part, right? I guess. Um, this funny thing here, Bo, is that uh, how about ECW was doing almost the same exact angle as uh, Smoky Mountain did with Horn and Bobby a year earlier. Were they a year apart? Yeah, that was ninety three and Smoky. Okay, I was this is ninety four. I was thinking one was right after the other one. Okay, yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah, and 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 with the connections and- with. And it's the connection with Cornette, and then we own this one, the connection with, with Paul. Yeah. And, Between and the wrestlers. Horseman, Horseman Midnight with the history in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So it's good. Here, here's another thought, too, about Paul. Where is he from? Where was his dream? Yeah. Being the WWF. Maybe he's yeah. thinking, well, I can play this and – if the WWN doesn't go, Vince is going to know I turned WCW down. Maybe we can work together, and that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, the rest of the show here, Pitbull won the TV title from JT Smith. This is Pitbull 1. JT came out on crushes and was attacked by Public Enemy. He went on with his match anyway, but was put in a submission, and the ref stopped the match. Sandman, Iron Man, Tommy Cairo had a hot but short brawl, and referee Salvatore Belomo... Kind of fast on Sandman, who kept threatening him. Bruce Brothers, Public Enemy, Lumberjack, Master East, every tag title. So both members of Public Enemy bleed, but Mr. Hughes hit one of the Bruce with a chair, giving Public Enemy the win. All right, our results here. An opening match on this show. 9-1-1 of a Crash the Terminator. Hugh <laughs> Morris. Kevin Sullivan, who's in WCW at this time. And Tasmaniac beat Superfly Jimmy Snuka and AJ Power. And football over JT. Uh, the Cairo Sandman was losing his 10 lashes, so Sandman got his lashed. A Hulk over Shane by DQ, Public Enemy over Bruisers, and Sabu over Terry Falk. So, uh, this is the uh, this is the first ECW I ever saw. Oh, okay. Yeah, the first. What were your, first what were your thoughts got, on him? Um, <clears throat> the first tape I got was was the Eaton. On those TVs, the TVs coming out of this. I thought they had a, a good deal going. I had no idea. You know, it was a, it was a mixture of something different with names that people knew. Um, I had no idea how extreme they were going to go. You know, yeah. seeing the first first tapes that I got. Um, but I liked it, and then it just you know they they kept getting a buzz. Um, yeah. I don't even remember who I got the tapes from and watched. I may have got them from Roger Anderson. He may have got it and said, hey, you need to check this out. Um, But it was an alternative. And it was, you know, they were getting a lot of PWI coverage and a lot of other magazine coverage. 
and they were getting TV, and and so you were hearing about it, seeing about it. Yeah. So they were they were doing it right. I mean, look, they got WCW wanting to work with them. So. Yeah, I think a lot of that is is because of Slambury being in Philly, but also, like I said here, they're pissed off at Smoky Mountain. Yeah, but well, you know? what I'm saying is WCW knew about them. Yeah. They weren't just well, running the mill independent. They have ke- guys like Kevin. Kevin's like working Kevin, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting looking at this and what what could have been and this that and the other. But it's funny. I mean, here here's Cornette and Paul doing. I mean, they're so fucking similar because Cornette went work with WCW again because of what happened with Watts. Yeah. You know, these guys are so similar. That's why they butted heads all the time. Same person. Shane Lewis interview on the ECW TV that airs this week, sending Sherry Martell on vacation to explain her leaving for WCW. Douglas needs shoulder surgery at some point in the near future. When does he not? <laughs> when does Shane <laughs> Douglas not need surgery in the next uh, six years? Jesus Christ, that guy. The shittiest luck. But there's another person we do. I mean, Sherry's coming from ECW to WCW too. So, yeah. yeah. And Funk is coming to WCW. I mean, there's. There's a lot of crossover here. Cactus. So there's a lot of crossover going on with, with these two promotions. Absolutely. All right, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Get ready, folks. A lot of clips. Freedom of a weekend. Weak crowds in two spot towns. A cancellation due to a flood. And a Knoxville show that was nothing spectacular drawn 750. Dora Funk Jr. appeared in, the no- in Knoxville. And Jim Cornette said anything should happen to Bob Armstrong. That he wanted to nominate Funk to be the next commissioner. Shows were headlined by Bruce of Bredlam pinning Bob Armstrong. Dirty White Boy keeping the Smoky Mountain title from Prince Karras. And Rock and Roll Express winning the tag title defenses by DQ against Brian Lee and Chris Candido. All right, let's go to Knoxville. 750 at the Coliseum on April 17th. Mike Furness over Larry Santo. Tracy Smothers and Bobby Blaze over the Infernos. It says Fireferno and Gabriel Brimstone. Okay. Dirty White Girl That's, over uh, Pick. Yeah. That's Brian Logan and Anthony Michaels. There you go. Dirty White Girl over Peggy Lee Leather. So I'm going to have a title. Dirty White Boy retained over Prince Karras. Bedlam over Bob Armstrong. And Rock and Rolls retained the tag titles over Chris Candido and Primetime Brian Lee by disqualification. All right, Bo. This is uh, Knoxville, Smoky Mountain. What are your thoughts on uh, this show here? April's always down in East Tennessee. Uh Ball, baseball, softball league start, racetracks open, first warm weather, smaller towns, uh, farm towns, planting season. So April's always down. That uh, makes sense. I, I always knew that running regular. Then you get a couple weeks in May where you can do some business. Then it's going to drop off again because school gets out. People's going on vacations. You just you got to know the cycle. And then you can do fairs, festivals through the summer and some big shows. But, yeah, it's always down. What were the two spot towns canceled, do you know? Um, I want to say one of them was Morristown. Wait, crap. I want to say I that. Get, not yeah, I, would, I, wouldn't consider, that. I wouldn't consider Morristown a spot town. It's every month. Uh, uh, let, me look, let me look at seeing. Well, this was uh, the flood of 94, wasn't it? 
this is um okay pigeon to... forge pigeon forge on the 16th and hyman kentucky Pig- on the 15th uh hyman's is yeah pigeon forge is never drawn for wrestling which is it's weird a, considering it's a tur- tourist town no it's not tourist towns don't draw people go well, there I guess you're right people go there to do stuff they don't do at home and can't do at home we can see wrestling anytime let's go ride the go-karts <laughs> yeah or play and, putt, putt and, golf. yeah and tour season just opened up so all the locals are working at dollywood at Dixie Stampede, all the arcades, all the tourist traps. Yeah, uh, this is the time period when I was going to Pigeon ba- Forge every, every year. <laughs> yep, yep. They're all back. They're all back at work, and they're working hard, and they're dealing with tourists every day. When they get off work, they want to go home and be left alone. That's why uh, Fuller and Kazana would run Sevierville at the high school in the off season. Yeah, Sevierville is about, you know, this. you go down the strip of Pigeon Forge and it goes right into Sevierville. So yeah. it's a few few minutes away. And, and that's 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 where most of the locals live. That's where the schools are at. Sevier County High and all that. Plus, plus, it's out on the back road where you can come in from Newport and Kodak and other places and not get in the traffic. It's funny when you go to Pigeon Forge, even now, that you have the strip where everything is, but then all you do is you make left and right turns down the side streets, and you're you're in the rural area right there. That's where all the houses are at. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're right there. I mean, it's just a little piece off the strip, but everybody stays on the strip, and then it's, it's right there is all the all the, the residential stuff. It's like being in regular town. I get off of. Uh exit 407 to go to the smoky games and no other reason and their stadium's right there i don't go to the tourist stuff i took wayland a couple times to ride the train but i just don't want to get into all that mess yeah it's been a, been about three four years now since the last time i went i love pigeon forge and love gatlinburg that's great stuff man great times picture uh, you ought to make a trip to the uh to pigeon forge area one time see how you like it <laughs> no, I, you would you would enjoy it. I think. No, I, from it's, what I've heard, I probably would. But yes, yeah, you'd like it. It's beautiful. So yeah. I've heard. Yes, you know, and everybody, you know, they're pushing everybody's the, pushing uh, Hollywood now yeah, because of Disney. So you know, which, by the way, is yeah. the funniest thing. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, we think we think Disney is is going too hard for gay rights. So yeah, if you want to support, uh a uh, destination like theme park type attraction that doesn't go to Dolly Parton's place because, because Dolly has become this progressive hero in, in recent years. I mean, she's always I mean, she's always been very pro gay rights and stuff, but yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a it's a very like uh, using "Born in the USA" as a patriotic anthem kind of thing. But I will say this: I mean, Pigeon Forge is way different now than it used to be because the last time i went to pigeon forge you see a lot more non-white people than you used to see there was a time there when you go to pigeon forge you didn't see nobody that wasn't white oh yeah it was all hill it was all hillbillies (laughs) well it was all it was just it was hillbillies and people that 
wanted to go to Pitch and Forge from Georgia, North Carolina, the surrounding states. Hillbillies. Yeah, in a way, in a way. <laughs> Rednecks and hillbillies. Yeah, now it's and, and I'll tell you something. I think has helped that is the Chicago Cubs being right there off exit four hundred seven because they plug the Smokies hard. They run a, a spot for Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge during their ball games. Uh, hey, here's a tourist place. Go catch out the Double A Smokies. Go, and I think that's brought a lot of people from bigger cities in the Midwest here. Yeah, and real quick before we get to the TV. I don't know if we've ever talked about Mike Furness with you on the show, but when it comes to like siblings of wrestlers, is he the is he maybe the worst ever? Yeah, and such That's about father, not guy. not not fathers and sons. Siblings. Yeah, not father, brothers, brothers yeah. and sisters. Yeah, siblings. He's such a nice guy. I mean, just a just a great guy and such a great and, athlete too. Yeah, he played. Yeah, I just personally. I believe if he started younger, he would have did better. And I yeah. think that wrestling kind of looked like, okay, none of this other stuff worked out. So I'll try this. And yeah. his heart was not a hundred percent in it. Yeah. Um, that's, it, you know, that's what I believe. Yeah. He right, started here. He, he should have <laughs> yeah. went somewhere else to start. That was a big mistake, but they were trying to capitalize on that. So, you know. Yeah. All right. Uh, TV. Let's talk about that. A lot going on. Um, the Torch talked about Les Thatcher joined Bob Cottle and announcing at ringside for the April 16th TV. They announced that Dutch Mantel had left the country. Cottle said it wasn't entirely voluntary, implying he was running from the law. Well, let's go to the clip here The Return of Les Thatcher. Spoken about television and even get a blast in the past in the process. So let's go to the clip. Oh, wait, real quick. Had he, had he had not been a regular week to week announcer on the TV, had he? Or no, it's Colin Dutch. That's that what was, I'm saying. That, up that to that point, no. yeah. So he had just yeah. done occasional Blessed. appearances, right? Yeah, he big shows. did. He did. The, he did the big shows. Yeah. Yes. Another exciting action packed hour of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Professional wrestling in the way it used to be and the way you like it. Hi, wrestling fans. I'm Bob Cottle, and as you see, Dirty Dutch Mantel is not with me this week. Dutch is out of the country. He had to leave the country, and I'm not at all sure that it was a voluntary move on the part of Dutch Mantel. But look here. This goes back a ways, and you can see here an old friend of mine, Les Thatcher. Les, one of us has an age, but I don't know which one it is. That picture is 20 years old. Bob, it's great to be with you. The last time I came out on this set at Smoky Mountain Wrestling, you had been exiled by Jim Cornette, and I was sent here by the board of directors to rectify that, and I'm certainly glad you're here this time around. We've got a great lineup tonight, too. Uh, we sure have, Les. No doubt about it. We're going to see the Rock and Roll Express, primetime Brian Lee, Chris Candido. Also, we're going to take a personality file. you got one of those coming up right. on Jim Cornette's Bedlam Bruiser. That's right. Bruiser Bedlam. Bedlam. What a name. I've heard so much about this guy. In fact, talking to the fans just before we got ready to start taping, everyone is buzzing. Bruiser Bedlam. Bruiser Bedlam. Of course, we've got a Beat the Champ match That's with right. Mike Burns. How about let's draw all right, let's do that. We've got the names here in account. All right. And uh, so let's go, get in here and see if we can. Right now. So, yeah, that photo they showed was from 20 years earlier. 
when they were uh, working for Crockett, hosting uh, Wide World Wrestling at that point in time on uh, JCP. And, uh, yeah, you know Les is back, Bo, because personality profile is back. Yep. That's how you know Les is involved. But, I mean, he's a legend in in the, in the in East Tennessee, so Dutch, is he's going to Puerto Rico. That's what's going on with him. So he's going there to book and do all that stuff. So if you're going to replace Dutch, I mean, Les is the guy, right? Yeah. And I wonder how much thought was put into Les actually being the host when they first started putting it together. You would thought that, I mean, it would have made, this, made sense, but I just think probably that Cornette, you know, with Bob, thinking Bob Caldwell would be the perfect guy to do it, do that from the start. Well, it, well, Bob has a long history here because in the Tri Cities market and the oh, West yeah. Virginia market, uh, and because Crockett Stevie was on here forever. Oh you yeah, you know it's so both of them have a long history. Absolutely. All right, so we have that. I right, also on the show. We have a long storyline deal. All right, so Brian Lee and Chris Candido are doing a comedy routine based around their huge height difference, which on the surface would make them an inca- incompatible-looking team. On television, Candido called Ricky Morton a pervert and said he sexually assaulted Tammy Fitch and challenged him. But when Morton came out, Candido said that Brian would find him, which surprised Brian. Candido, during interviews, talks to Lee and always tells Lee that Lee's a stud the team, points to his arms and said, look at his guns, etc. All right, so let's let's start this story here. Let's play clip number one, shall we? And this is uh, Brian and Chris and Tammy here. So let's go to that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, right now, primetime, Brian Lee, Chris Candido, and Miss Tammy Fitch. You know, I do not like the Rock and Roll Express one bit. I can't stand them. So because I cannot stand them, Brian and Chris here promised me that they would have a match with the Rock and Roll and they would bring those titles right where they belong because it's been too long since I've had gold around my waist. I, I mean, Brian's waist. But now, we've beat him before. We're going to beat him again. It's about time I get that gold back where it belongs. But you know what really, really upsets me? Ricky Morton. Probably the nastiest lips in all of professional wrestling. Oh, yeah. Planted those horrible <laughs> lips on me, and he kissed me. It was disgusting. I mean, I can't blame him. That's what's really got her upset, fans. You saw it again. I can't believe that. Who is that Ricky Morton? 
think he is? What right does he have to put those disgusting lips on my girl? I mean, on our girl. Ricky Morton, you are not a real man. You're a little elf. You're not a big guy like me. You might be the Spooky Mountain Team Champions, you and Robert Gibson, but you're not a real man. You've never been a real man. You can't get a date. That's the reason you had to molest Tammy Fitch. You're a to hit the lady or kiss her. And I decided to kiss her. Something that you don't know nothing about. You ought to try it. You might like it. You understand what I'm trying to say to you, big boy? But, now you just said I'm not a real man, but the only thing I can say if you step in that ring right now, I'll prove to you that I'm a real man. Now, I will challenge you to a match right there in that ring. And I'll prove to you, brother, that I am a real man. All right, man, you want a match? You want to fight? You think you're a real man? Yeah. You want to fight? Yeah, wanna... Okay, you got yourself a fight. Okay. Ryan, I want you to take him out. Ryan's going to kill him. Why are you doing that? You don't want to stand up here. Please, 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 don't do it. Just for me, please. Okay, Ted, I'll do it for you, but I'm not doing it for you. You were out here running your mouth. Bob, if Brian had jumped in and taken a match, I would have done it myself, but Brian's going to kick Ricky Morton's butt. Alright, we'll have a match during this hour, and we'll be back right after this. A, boy, is that crowd fucking hot. And uh, B, uh, this is such a different dynamic for the Rock and Rolls, Bo. They've never been in, in this dynamic where they have a female manager they're working with and doing this deal where Ricky is, you know, being portrayed as a pervert. So this is a fresh deal for them here in, in this feud. Yeah. Because I, they, before they had Cornette for all those years, JJ, uh, Jimmy Hart, when he had the Bruce brothers in Memphis. So yeah, this is the first angle they've had with a girl. Yeah. Cause they never worked anything with baby at all. I don't think. No. No, they they know that the team and team and Weber. That's what I was getting ready to say. Other than her being on their side, yeah, yeah, I never thought of that before. But yeah, and and how great is everyone involved here? You know, as far especially Chris and Tammy and Brian, their act was so so good at this point in time. All three of them in their roles. Oh, this version of Brian Lee is easily the best he ever was. Yeah. And then he becomes fake Undertaker and kills him. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so that there's that. All right, so let's go to the next clip, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the finish of the match they had. So uh, let's go to that. Or oh, excuse me, pause. All right, this is from the locker room before the match. Locker room interview before the match. That's what this is. All right. All right, one second. I had to move around some of my audio unit things. All right, there we go. Room along with his entourage, he's preparing for today's Brian, TV main I told event. You, you better win that match. I told you what would happen if you don't win that match. I told you once. I don't want to repeat myself anymore. Do you understand me? 
Well, certainly Chris talked you into this very easily, didn't he, Brian? Well, uh, Hold on a second. Let's, don't try to stir anything up. Everybody heard Brian with his own voice take that match. I would take it to myself, but the real man, Brian, is he volunteered in his own voice, and everybody heard it. Ain't that right, Brian? That's right. You know, Ricky Morton, you're nothing to me but a little keyboard elf. I'm six foot eight, 280 pounds, and I'm going to send you back to the cookie factory, and I got bigger fish to fry, so get out of my way, little man. Well, there you have it. Let's go to the ring. On the other hand, Brian Lee still hasn't learned to cut a promo where he doesn't say, I'm six foot eight, 280 pounds. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, so let's go to the finish of the match and see how all this plays out. All Let's see what we got here. His foot's on the roll. And those are the kind of moves that puts money in the bank for rock and roll. Oh, oh, Candido heading for the ring. Candido took off for the ring. You know, you talk about the odd couple, and I'm not sure what these two guys are about, but I don't think they're as tight as Chris Candido would have his Well, Candido's still at ringside, and here comes Robert Gibson. Look here. He had him rolled up in the package, but couldn't hold him there, Lance. Worked almost for the spot. You got to try that backslide to see if he's got him down. And he kicks out. Two close ones, Bob. Two very close ones. Wait a minute. Here's Gibson in the ring. pinned back against the ropes. Whatever's in that purse of hers, there's got to be something heavy because when, it, when you get hit with it, you go out like a light. Absolutely. And of course, Brian Lee comes up the winner via his qualification here because Robert Gibson was caught with that in the ring. Here's Morton again now trying to get back into the ring. Gibson, who gets charged into the ring, he's going to pay for it. Candida and Lee have uh, Gibson down, working him over. Here's Here Morton's got a chair. He's going to clear house and fans will be back. Right after we take this time out. Accommodations for Smoky Mountain Wrestling were provided by the West Town Inn of Knoxville. If you're looking for a nice, clean, and economical room in the Knoxville area, try the West Town Inn. All rooms have cable TVs and a private balcony. Also a large pool in the center courtyard. The West Town Inn, the Smoky Mountain Wrestler's Haven, located at 7723 Kingston Pike, across from the West Town Mall. All right, fans, here we are with the rock and roll. Rick, I tell you, the big guy knows he was in a battle. Well, Bob, you see, it was a long, hard road for the Rock and Roll Express. But one thing we did, that is to run the heavenly bodies out of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And now, teaching a lesson, it's got to come to you, Briley and Chris Candido. You see... We might be down just for this one moment, but there's always the next time. You see a hot cup of soup and a good night's sleep, and you got to do it again. So now, we got to teach you a lesson. And now it comes down to you, Tammy Fitch. Yeah. Were well, you going to kiss her again? we got to teach her a lesson. And I want you to ask around. Rock and Roll had had, had had too many complaints over that. Lady, we're going to teach you a good lesson. Whoa, Rock and Roll, we're here to stay, baby. And right now, let's go back and take a look at one of the biggest wins uh, in the history of the Rock. Um, I really wanted to, the main reason why I wanted you to keep playing it, other than the promo, is the West Town Inn in Knoxville. Bo, do you have any West Town Inn stories? 
Don't stay there now. You might get shot. <laughs> but was that the haven for the wrestlers? Um, during this time, it was because they had to deal with them. Uh, uh -huh. The boys used to stay off a paper mill. There was two hotels right off next to Desperados, which Knoxville looks nothing like it did then now. Yeah. Um, there's only one mall left in Knoxville. That's the West Town Mall. The East Town Mall is gone. I think it's an Amazon place now. They're going to be. Um, there's neighborhoods and like where the Jacobs Pritchard Wrestling Academy is at. Uh, that neighborhood's probably 10 years old or less. I mean, it was it used to be nothing out there. There used to be a break in between like Knoxville and Oak Ridge. They almost meet now. And Clinton, where they take this TV was... It's part of Knoxville Metro, always has been, but I mean, now they just run right into each other. Um, so, I mean, it's it's a Knoxville's a major metropolis now and growing every day. We can Total thank our cities. The, what the thank Glenn Jacobs for that. The mayor. Yeah. <laughs> He's the man, Dix. But He's not the mayor of Knoxville. There's a lot though. of people. <laughs> He's not. He's the mayor of Knox County. Yeah, and he doesn't really do anything. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing tell him that. he he's an elected mayor who has the power of a ceremonial mayor. Is that fair to say, Bo? Uh, I you know I really don't know. I'm not into politics at all. Okay, that's they're, the impression I've been under than, though. Than boxing, but no, but East <laughs> Tennessee, not a, in Tennessee, the counties have mayors and they do have some powers. And they do work, and you know, right? I'm, sure, I'm not saying connected. there's nothing, but it's it's closer to Matt Morgan being mayor than it is to I don't know to, to you know a New York City mayor. Or, I, I'm just thinking of an exam, an obvious example, or something like that. He, the, may, the mayors just, of well the the mayors of county uh, the uh, uh, that it's basically what we have to hear of is called the chairman of the county commission. Yeah, he's in charge of the is. growth. He's in charge of the growth yeah. of the county outside yeah. the city limits. Yeah, and he's doing a great job. Yeah, yeah, he, he's more the county where the city has their own government and yeah. mayor, of course. Right, but and he, but they, he's they the, work he, with the county. And he's the you're right, and he's the head of the county government, and he's the head of the growth of the county, and he's the head of everything outside the city limits. So he's yeah, still got a big, a big area. And Knoxville definitely has changed. You know, I went through there a few years ago. I'm like, wow, it's been a while. And I'm like, wow, Knoxville's come up. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway, there's that. All right. It, so Bruce, it, 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 it is now what they thought it was going to be when the World's Fair came. Yes. It took a while. It, it, it took a while. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know. I mean, it's just, you get out and ride around, man, it's way different. And, and all the, I mean, it's just grown out and taken, you know, all the other towns run right into it now. It's just one huge city. Mm -hmm. All right. Bruiser Bedlam made his TV debut and beat Mike Furness with the stomach claw. So after that, he was on Les Thatcher's personality profile, which is taking the place of Down and Dirty with Dutch, where Jim Cornette and Bruiser Bedlam were the guests. So let's go to that clip, shall we? And hear what Jim Cornette has to say as he introduces his new charge. 
the absence of Dutch Mantel, we're doing a new segment here on Smoky Mountain Wrestling called Personality Profile. And I'll be hosting that. And uh, right now, we've asked Jim Cornette and his newest uh, member of his stable, yeah. Bruiser Bedlam, to join us. We'd like to know a little bit of the inside scoop on this gentleman. He is tough, no doubt about it. Oh, I'm going to tell you all sorts of inside scoop if you people would shut up. I'm sick of listening to all these rednecks. he claims the title of Commissioner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Is that correct? You must not be from here because you understood that. That's exactly what it means. I'm finally rid of Bob Armstrong again, not as commissioner, but at least he won't be able to step in the ring. Now, if he wants to resign as commissioner, then he can get back in the ring all he wants. But we know what kind of canopies that would open up. But let me just say this. Bob Armstrong, you're not going to get your revenge in the ring with Bruiser Bedlam after April 19th. But don't worry. so out of place to me at this time of smoking now that's why i bombed would you agree with that bo i think he would have been better i think he would have been better if he never talked yes if yes if he just let jimmy talk and he never said a word he's back there like the stomper because he looks like he'd kill you for a quarter and he probably would have 
you know, he, he's a monster heel, but I think him talking actually hurt him a little bit. And you can tell that this was his first real TV experience because he took the mic right out of Les's hand. Never mm -hmm. take the microphone from the announcer. No. Mix, you agree with, with Bo there? I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, you know, it was a guy to give a shot to, and I don't know if it necessarily worked out. Um, I think, I think also maybe the part of the problem too is they pushed him right to the main events. Yes. If you start him, build him up, let him go through some guys and build him, smash him over, smash yeah. him over. Now, in exactly. fairness, um, well, would Cornette know yet at this point that he is the Randy Savage date? Probably. Although did he, I don't yeah, think he knew that. So. I don't think he knew Savage was putting him over until Savage got to the building, though, right? Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's it's a little he, weird that he got so rushed. To, go ahead. He looks great. His in ring was good. He he just he was not an interview, and. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe just pushed. Yeah. Well, it ain't a Smoky Mountain TV show from this period if we don't have Daryl Van Horn, our friend Jim Mitchell. And uh, let's go to Bob Cottle and uh, Daryl Van Horn. Let's do a kind of uh, hilarity we have from this. Did you queue this up separately as a separate timestamp link, or should I just keep playing it from this one? Uh, just go to the whatever All right, I have. Yeah. right now, Mr. Daryl Van Horn, and I understand that you've got somebody new that you're bringing to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. That's right, Bob Cottle. I've been telling people that I was going to be building an army here in the Smoky Mountain area, that I was bringing in a legion of lost souls. I've been on a worldwide talent search, and I now have a new member to the Van Horn family, a man from the land of the rising sun, a man who is feared by the Japanese mafia themselves, the Yakuza. He is Kendo the Samurai, one of the most vicious men you people will ever see, and a truly amazing technical talent. Just shortly, you people are going to get a chance to see him in the weeks to come and see the trail of havoc that he's going to wreak in the Smoky Mountain area. But I also want to talk about the dirty white boy. What happened, Bob Cottle? The dirty white boy saw fit to interrupt an interview with Prince Karras and myself. He came out. It's bad enough that he made a uh, commitment of blasphemy, or committed an act of blasphemy, rather. He made light of the ancient Egyptian invocations. He knocked my fez off, but worst of all, he touched Prince Karras. Prince Karras laid him out one, two, three times with that big arm of his. His eyes were filled with the sand of the Nile. Dirty white boy, I've told the world that there was a title shot coming up in April, and the world is going to see the gold put around Prince Karras's waist. I told you you were making a big mistake getting involved in our business. Everybody knows, dirty white boy, that you're a low-life scumbag, the kind of man who is usually found prowling around glory holes in public men's room. Smoky Mountain Wrestling, get ready to see a new champion, the mighty Prince Karras. All right, fans, and he talked about French Karras and the dirty white boy. Let's go back and take a look at just what happened when, when they met. All right. <laughs> you think Bob Collar knew what a glory hole was? 
usually he reacts when he senses something with Van Horn, so I'm guessing not. Um, well, I, I, I think it was Cornette who made the point in interviews and stuff in the past more than Jim, well, than Jim Mitchell, that the brilliance of it is that in that part of the country... Anyone who knows what a glory hole or felching is in 1994, they're not going to tell anyone. <laughs> Bo, is that true? Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, this is your people, Bo. About how many people do you think actually got what he was saying with these lines? The boys got it. Well, I'm sure they did. <laughs> um, not many. <laughs> oh man, he was uh, ahead of his time. Oh, Jim Mitchell, good lord! All right, well, let's go cross state to the USWA. April 16th TV. Doug Gilbert asked Eddie Gilbert to referee his match for the USWA title on uh, April 18th, and Eddie agreed. But Brian Christopher said even though Eddie was his partner last week, that still didn't mean he trusted him and didn't want him to referee. Well, <laughs> good reason. Eddie promised Brian he wouldn't turn on him and said that if he turned, he'd retire from wrestling. And then did a Bayface interview talking about a street fight match on April 18th against Tommy Rich. All right, so we have two promos here regarding this stuff. So let's go to Doug and uh, asking Eddie to referee the match and go from there. Three in a match, and uh, Brian Christopher, and uh, you're not seeing eye to eye with, and other things. Well, you know, Dave Brown, every week almost I see either Jerry Lawler, Brian Christopher, or even my brother, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, call somebody out here because they want to talk to him about something. So what I'd like to do is, Eddie, if you're back there by a monitor, I would like you to come out here. Dave Brown, I just want to ask him a couple of things. That's all I want to do. Just a couple of simple things is all I want to ask you. Yeah. There he is. Hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. Doug's brother headed this way, and uh, uh, I don't know exactly what you got in mind, but he's here. Well, Dave Brown, you know what I got in mind? I just wanted to look at Eddie face to face and tell him, you know, myself, Wildfire Tommy Rich and Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert was one of the best trios in professional wrestling. We beat them all day, Brown. But I've got one big question for Eddie. When it comes down to Brian Christopher and myself, see, Dave Brown, the first question I want to direct you, Eddie, and ask you, why did you pick Brian Christopher to be your partner? Okay, that's fair. All right. Doug, you yourself stood out here last week, and you told me, that you had one of the most important matches of your life last week coming up. You didn't even want to think about me, Brian Christopher, Jerry Lawler, or anyone else. All you wanted with your mind on was that match you had. And knowing that, and knowing that Brian Christopher came down to save my rear end that week from Tommy Rich and the Dream Machine and Atom Bomb, that's the man I picked because you were not available to be my partner, and I didn't want you to have to wrestle two times that night, to be very honest with you. Okay. I want to ask you one more thing. Now, Eddie, have always, if something that you have needed, have I not done it for you? Whatever you've needed, have I not done it for you? I don't really think 
Hey, it's a place we talk about this kind of stuff. But yes, you've done anything I've ever asked you to do if I ever needed you. But also, in the same turn, I've also done the same for you. I've done everything you've ever needed. And if you ever needed help on anything, I was always there for you, right or wrong. Well, okay. Okay, I want to ask you for one thing. And we will say... one thing, though. You were talking about Tommy Rich just a while ago. Yeah. And us being a trio... Well, actually, we were more like family, yeah. okay? All right. Also, if you'll think back about it, Doug, when I'm just watching that tape again and you going after Brian after the match, I had a strange decision I had to make after that, a crazy decision, one of the worst I've ever had. What I'm trying to say to you is Brian Christopher was also a person that we called our brother at one time up and down these roads. And for okay, you to sit okay. down here and talk about him, I don't like that. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'll let you have your say. But I never called Brian Christopher and said he was like my brother because I never liked him when he rode with us. You did. I have, have always hated his no, guts. No, but don't lie out here in front of these people. Yeah, can we just get to the point? Okay. I want to ask you, and this will tell me, like you said, Tommy, before I'll fire Rich, He's like a third brother to the Gilbert. You're exactly right when you said that. But I feel, feel. Well, okay. Let me ask, let me ask you one thing, okay. and that's it. I want to ask you another thing after this. Okay. Dave, I've got a very important match tonight or Monday night, and I want a special referee, and I want you as a special referee if you remember i was your special referee and i refereed right down the middle did you not see one two three i know you did so i'm gonna leave it in your hands what do you say i ask you sincerely sincerely i ask you to be my special referee against brian christian all right i'll tell you i'll tell you what i'll do i should have known something like this is coming up anyway you're wanting to see now for sure whose side i'm on yes sir is that right? Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Last week, you stood out here, and as my brother, you agreed to be the referee. And i got to say this for you. did referee the match right down the middle. You didn't let me get away with anything, Brian or the other two guys. But i tell you what I'll do. I'm going to be the best referee you've ever seen, and I will be your special referee for this match. There's your answer, Doug. So, Dave Brown, if what he is telling me is the truth, all of you people, if Brian Christopher can't hold on to his USWA title today, I, I guess, Dave, you have told everybody he's got to wrestle the dream machine. Another one of my men, right, Dave Brown? I've told him, yeah, he's got a match coming up here to defend the title. Brian Christopher, you had rather walk through hell than you had get me in the ring. And Dave Brown, my brother's special referee, I can guarantee you one thing, Brian Christopher, if you do have that USWA title, and I can talk those fossil Eddie Marlin into sign a title match this week, I will leave the champion, Dave. Well, you got your special referee. Whether you get the match signed as a title match does depend on a couple of things, and one being if Brian still has the title after the match, which is coming up right here, against the Dream Machine with the USWA title on the line. Let's take a break, and we'll be back with that title match right after this. All right, let's go to clip number two. As we continue this story, maybe take an opportunity to talk to Brian a little bit. Had a couple of minutes during the commercial break to uh, 
Kind of catch his breath. And here he is, greeting the fans as he, <laughs> he has his way. A couple of uh, friendly comments from uh, those uh, folks. And, Brian, congratulations. Good win for you. Well, you know, <laughs> any win is a good win, and I'll take them any way I can. Now, a few minutes ago, I heard Joe Gilbert come out here, and Joe Gilbert was running his mouth like he always does. And Doug Gibber was challenging me to a match this week, Monday night, for my belt. Right. And Doug Gilbert, you said, if yeah, I make it through this match. Well, Doug Gilbert, I made it through this match. I've still got the title right here in my hand, and I'm not a coward. I'm not scared of any man. And Doug Gilbert, there's nobody on God's green earth that I would rather have in the ring this week. Just real quick, I'm guessing we see the audio here is just above the top uh, threshold of acceptable for podcast purposes. Well, I mean, you're lucky to have what you have. I mean, it's less it's lesser than most of what we usually use, and I feel like it's right on the border, so that's that's why I mention it. But I can hear perfectly, so that's all. Okay, okay. If it sounds fine to you, then then I'm not worried. Then you, but there's only one thing that's bothering me, and Eddie Marlin's already told me that this match. It's signed, it's confirmed, and it's going to happen. But like I said, there's one thing bothering me. And I want to get Eddie Gilbert to come out here right now. Because Joe Gilbert had his brother come out here. And they said that he's going to be the special referee. Eddie has agreed to be the special referee. As, has Eddie Marlin signed off on that? Is that uh, is yeah, Eddie? So, he's all good, sorry? Well, Eddie, uh, apparently this uh, this match is set. It's going to be Doug against Brian, and you will be the special referee. Well, I got I just real quick here, Brian. I got to tell you something. This is, I'm not looking forward to this at all. I just want everyone to understand that right now. I am not looking forward to refereeing this match at all. Well, Eddie Gilbert, you better start looking forward to it, okay? Because this is a very, very important match. And I would much rather have one of the USWA officials in there to count the man's shoulders. But instead, it's going to be you. And last week, you came out here, and you were, I guess you could say, singing the blues, right? And I agreed to be your tag team partner, yeah. right? Yeah. And I held up my end of the bargain, right? Yeah, and I feel I, I held up my end, too. Okay. I feel that. Yeah. Okay. Now, last week, I'll have to agree with you. You held up your end of the bargain. But what's it going to be like this week when it's your own brother in there one-on-one against me? That's what I don't like, Dave Brown. You know, blood is thicker than water. Everybody knows that. And we're just water, Eddie Gilbert. I wouldn't even consider us friends. I helped you out for one week. Now, what's to say you're not going to turn your back on me this week and side with your brother, Eddie? There's nothing that I can stand here and say to you and say to any of these people over here, anybody at home watching right now, that's going to convince them of anything. I know that. I felt that last week when I was in the ring with you. I felt that when I had to stand back and try to choose and decide what to do when you and Doug were fighting each other. But I think I did exactly what everyone thought I wouldn't do. I tackled my brother down, and I also tackled you down. Because to me, I'm going to be very honest with you, I don't like seeing two people like you and Doug fighting anymore. I don't want to see that, don't care. But I will tell you this. I stood out here last week, I took you right off over here, didn't I? And I whispered something in your ear. And I told you, I told you, I'm going to let everyone else know right now what I told Brian Christopher. 
I told them if last week, by some chance, by some fluke, if I had some kind of great master plan in mind and turned on you last week, that you wouldn't ever see my face in USWA ever again. That's right. Right? That's right. Okay. So what I'm going to tell you is, yes, I will referee this match straight down the middle. And yes, if your shoulder hits that mat, I will give you a three count. But also, if that so-called brother of mine and his shoulders hit that mat, I'm going to give him a three count that's going to make his head spin, brother. <laughs> well, that's what I like to hear, Eddie. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm going to ask you, well, now, I'm going to tell you, you better not double-cross me, okay? Now, Doug Gilbert, <laughs> how's it going to feel, Doug Gilbert, when your own flesh and blood is cutting your shoulders because I beat you? One, two, three. <laughs> Brian, apparently uh, pretty well satisfied with the situation now. You've given him your assurance you're going to call it down the middle. Well, Dave, I do realize that all these people in Memphis, Tennessee, are sitting back right now, and they're saying Eddie Gilbert is going to have to prove himself to us. He's done so many things in the past. And just like you, Dave, I know you're thinking the same thing. And, Brian, I know you are. But I'm going to tell you something. Come Monday night at the Mid-South Coliseum, I've got some enjoyable matches coming up. And the greatest one of all is when Mr. So-called Brother Tommy Wildfire Rich steps into the ring with me in a Tennessee street fight. Well, I am Tennessee born and Tennessee bred. And when I die, I'll be Tennessee dead, Tommy Rich. And it wasn't just too long ago when Tommy Rich turned on me, shot me down in the middle ring, kicked me in the ribs, busted my head wide open. That's not a brother. If my brother John Gilbert wants to call Tommy Rich a brother, well, we must not come from the same family. This coming Monday night, Tommy, I'm going to start with you. And I'm going to show everybody in Memphis, Tennessee, just what Eddie Gilbert and what kind of a uh, good guy I can be. And let me tell you something. When I'm bad, I'm bad. And when I'm good, I'm very bad. <laughs> What's up, Eddie Gilbert? I tell you what, it's going to be some oh, interesting night coming up Monday night at the Mid-South Coliseum. That will be a fight and a half, boy, oh. when Eddie Gilbert and Tommy Rich used to be partners from uh, some time ago. Uh, this... Here recently as well, and uh, bad blood right now. Oh, uh, you're exactly right. We'll see what happens Monday night at the Mid-South Coliseum. Right. Let's take a moment. Let's get... Again, Memphis and these types of angles. We talk about it so many times in the show. We talk about it again. Nobody can do these angles like Memphis, Bo. Nobody. No. And they had the main key players that they could take the history from over and over throughout the years. And the wrestling fans remembered what they were talking about. They knew what they were talking about because the fan base lived and breathed this all week long, waiting for Saturday morning to come on. And they had so much history to play off of. Especially in this situation. Yeah. You know, with, with Eddie and Tommy and, and, and then Doug and then Brian and just there's so much that is just, you know, in the play here with all this. 
I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean, uh, you can't do this nowhere else. No, nowhere else. So, um, yeah, and Andy, and you know, Andy's a master at doing this type of stuff. You know, and just playing that role with his, you know, how, his voice inflection and everything. How, you know, he'll turn it up and take it down, you know, and everything like that. Just a total master at getting over what character he's playing when he's serious, when he's hot stuff, well, that, everything. That's the, he's not playing. They're yeah. not playing. They lived what they, they lived what they were. If you met them on the street, you met whoever you saw on TV that day. <laughs> yeah. If you ran into the superstar, you met the superstar. If you met the King, you met the King. If you met Eddie Gilbert, you met Eddie Gilbert. You know, Dream Machine, uh, all these guys, they were not playing characters. They were an extension of their self, and they knew when to turn it on and when not to. So Brian Christopher wrestled Dream Machine on a TV, in a TV in a fair match, which is what that Brian's promo was after. After a rep bump, Dream went to the top rope with a chain, but Jerry Lawler shoved him off in the chain, fell into the ring for the DQ finish. So then Dream challenged Lawler to a match on April 18th, and they got into a wild brawl. Well, let's... Let's go to, we have two clips on this, so let's go to this first clip and then go from there. There's uh, that dream machine. What is this? Where is he at now? Ever since I've been back to the UWA, USWA Lawler, you've been dodging me, man. You've been flying off to New York City. You've been flying off to Nashville. Where is he at now? He wants to slip out here and pearl harbor me from behind. You know why? Because you're like Memphis. You're built on a bluff. Your ego is inflated. Your laws are outdated. They don't apply anymore. You can't rely anymore. Where is Lawler? You think it's over? It's never going to be over because I got news for you, man. I'm sick of you. Come up to my top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And he wants to slip out here and push me off the top rope. Whenever I get a chance to shoot Lawler, I'm going to whip you from one end of the Coliseum to the arena to Louisville, Evansville. It don't make no difference, Lawler. Right, he he, came, he came out here because you had just, uh, uh, Gilbert had thrown you a chain, and uh, if you don't mind. This is I not your interview mind. time. We were just we were just telling folks about the action at the Mid-South Coliseum Monday night coming up here. I do mind, Lawler. You've been dodging me. It's like I said. I never watched to get a this is not your interview time. We're taking a break, and you get out of here. <laughs> uh, Dave Lent Dream Machine. Now, this is live fucking television. <laughs> hey, Dream's been in jail for a while. He, he hasn't, he hasn't had, had a practice lately on what's going on here. So, so Troy, anyway, Lawler. Troy lived, on, Troy lived on his own time. Oh, Absolutely. Well, Lawler comes out, and this is where it starts picking up. So let's go to uh, to that. Lexington, Tennessee. This is a man who will be leading uh, his army here. There's the king, Jerry Lawler. Uh, all sorts of action. Certainly looking forward to being up in Lexington, Tennessee tomorrow. That's going to be big. 
I heard they were giving it out here and all these uh, people all the Oh, thank you, Mr. Scott. A unified title has just arrived, and its owner has it in hand. <laughs> what was that for? <laughs> I, just, I don't have to have this out here every time. Do I, I, I guess we can just take it for granted that, uh, yes, you are your champion. Mr. Coffee wanted to be on TV. <laughs> I okay. Got a good little shot of it there. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess they'd like to make a little guest appearance. Sort of like I like to make, enjoy making that little guest appearance a few minutes ago in Brian Christopher's match. And I heard the Dream Machine out here running his mouth off about uh, what people do. I guess he didn't, I didn't, he didn't stop to think about what he was fixing to do with that chain right there, did he? All right, now, Troy, Green Machine headed this way. This is the King's interview time. Oh, I guess it's not my interview. Why no, it is. Yeah, King to leave. Huh? Because it's his interview time. Why tell him to leave? Why don't you leave, Lola? You out here worried about softball? The hell with softball? Hey, watch your mouth here, King. <laughs> I don't have to watch my mouth. Yeah, well, you do if you want to be on this television station. I thank your whole stinking family, kid. And I thank your mama, your daddy. What are you going to do about it? Hey! Green Machine, no business out here no, to begin with. Lawler out here for his interview. We didn't even get to talk to him much. And all of a sudden, here comes the Green Machine shows up. Absolutely no business out here, she said. Green Machine upset because he claims Lawler's dodging him and won't wrestle him in a match. Hey, look out. Yep, get security away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Battling over in the... Uh, over in the corner. Man, let me tell you, what that's left between these two. All right. Put some security oh, people on that door over there. Yeah, better get some security. Cameras out that way, too. There they are. Where are they? Uh, where are they? They're back in, uh, they're back in a prop storage area back uh, in the back. Still going at each other. Uh, Dream Machine. Looks like he's about half ripped Lawler's shirt off. Whoa. Oh. Holding metal chair. <laughs> and Troy Graham ran his fist right into it. That dream machine is just dumping dirt here today. Oh, Lawler. Oh, my goodness. Reverse. That's, uh... They're going outside now, baby. Oh, they've got the door. door open. Look out in the parking lot. Oh, boy. <laughs> Up against the, uh, television ran, huh? Yep. They're outside going Boy, they're oh, in the back of a pickup truck. <laughs> Oh, boy. There's, uh, there's uh, Kevin Christian, the referee, trying to back Jerry Lawler away. Lawler just jumps him down. And here comes Green Machine back for more. There's Eddie Marlin, I see, coming up on the right. Oh, boy. Graham just smacked him upside of the head there. Now they got him separated there. Uh, is that Lawler still there? Yeah, he is. I don't know what he threw at him, but he just threw something at the Green Machine. Oh, boy. Now the door's up, look out. He nailed him as Lawler was starting right back into the building. Oh, man, this one, they're trying to get him separated right now, right at the door. Uh, there's Leon Downs, I see. And uh, it looks like Eddie Marlin has got uh, Jerry Lawler, and they got him back in the building. And they're holding Green Machine uh, away from him so they can get things separated. Dream Machine, I'm going to tell you, this guy. Wild Man. Yeah, 
Well, it goes back a long, long way, and it took us a while to realize that when uh, when Dream Machine first came back in here. But there's lots of bad blood between Dream Machine and his own mind, especially against Jerry Lawler. We'll be back with more in a moment. It started with an idea. Yeah. Dream, dream Machine. I mean, he's very believable in that gimmick right there, Bo. Once again, it's not a gimmick. Yes. They, he's out of his mind, and he, I mean, look in those eyes. And nobody did the brawls better than Memphis either. Oh, no. Parking yeah. line brawls. Oh, yeah. No. Absolutely. And you know what's real cool sitting here watching that? I fought Lawler in the same hallway, in the same parking lot, in the same studio. <laughs> oh, man. And in the summertime, it's hot in that studio because of the lights, but they'd have the air turned up, trying, you know, trying to keep it cool. And then you'd go fighting out and go out that door, and that Mid-South heat would hit you. And it was almost like a punch in the gut. I mean, just, oh, my God, it's 800 degrees out here on the asphalt. Uh, but, yeah, that was probably Buddy Wayne's truck or Bruno's truck they went in the back of there. That's per- perfectly placed right there for that to happen, too. So how about that? But good Lord. All right, also on television, had a tag title match with the Moondogs defending against Billy Travis and Don Bass. After a rep bump, one of the dogs pinned Travis as a ref groggily counted the pin. Bass just switched places to put Travis on top, and the groggy ref raised Travis's hand, seeing him on top of the pile. Eddie Marlon announced the referee made the wrong decision, but he was holding up the belts until the missile called to him showed April 18th. And manager of the Moon also this time, Ronnie Lotz. <laughs> so, there you go. All right. The Lawler Dream Machine fused them from the restricted. Go ahead. Which moon dogs was that then, in '94? This would have been the other Rex and Spot. If I'm not mistaken. Okay, his name was Nathan. Well, hey, uh, here we go. We have a first name. <laughs> I've heard that before. I don't yeah, remember I can't remember you, but have you, you, yeah. no one knows his last name. Uh, I can't remember. He, Larry trained him, broke him in. Uh, he's passed away now too, and he was young, young guy. And he passed away pretty young, too. But I don't remember what from. Actually, I just realized, am I losing my mind? Or did he wrestle somewhere at some point as Moondog Nathan? Because all of a sudden, I feel like I remember hearing the name Moondog Nathan somewhere. Mm, not that I know. Okay. He worked for Cornette for a short time, and then he was in Memphis. He worked in Larry's Towns in Arkansas. Uh, and that was about his career. The Law Dream Machine fused them from their respective great interviews and television angle, which saw them brawl to the parking lot the previous Saturday. Picked the gate up to $8,500 on April 18th for a non-title match that Dream won using the chain. Law had the advantage of the entire match, and Dream bled, but Dream pulled out the chain, scored a pin after one punch. After the match, Dream said he had waited 10 years to pin Lawler in Memphis. The other angle continues, the other top angle continues, says Eddie against Doug. Eddie refereed the USW title match with Brian Christopher defending as Doug, and Eddie DQ Brian for using a chain. However, Doug was mad because by DQ and Brian, it cost him the title. Later in a street fight, Eddie with Eddie and Tommy Rich, Doug attacked Eddie, and Christopher made the save for him. Wow. 
right, fourteen hundred fans at the Coliseum. We got Spellbinder over Tony Falk in your opener. Colorado Kid over Leon Downs. Bad Breed, Ian Axel Rotten went to a draw with the Spiders. Dirty White Boy over Stephen Dunn. Don Bass and Billy Joe Travis defeated the Moondogs to win those USWA tag titles. Eddie over Tommy Richard, a street fight by DQ. Doug over Brian by DQ. And Dream over Lawler. The, uh, and, yeah, go ahead. The, the Don Bass, Billy Travis, Moondogs is Don Bass and Billy Travis were two of the easiest people ever in the ring. They're right up there with Handsome Jimmy. And then they're out there getting beaten ahead by the Moondogs. (laughs) (laughs) Billy don't like this. (laughs) (laughs) And I've heard Billy talk about it. Billy didn't like it. (laughs) I bet he didn't. And and I'm I'm sure Don Bass didn't like it either. Oh, no. All right, let's go to Detroit. Detroit High School show on April 15th, headlined by the Sheik against Abdul the Butcher with Sabu versus Al Snow to semi-main event. Was semi-promoted by uh, Malcolm Monroe. Was canceled when the ring didn't show up. They're planning on doing the show on the high school wrestling match, but the Athletic Commission wouldn't allow it. Huh. Can you imagine Sheik and Abby doing a match on high school wrestling match, bro? Oh, it would have been the same if the ring was there. <laughs> They'd be fighting all over the floor anyway. Yeah, they're going to fight all over the building, bleeding and objects and fire and everything else. Hilarious. All right. It's, uh, been, it's, it's been done more than people would think. Yeah. Where the ring didn't show up and they just got some mats and put on the floor and had the matches. Yeah. All right, Los Angeles. CMLL, the, Mets, the second Mexican office in Bay, California, released their lineup for their debut card on May 14th at the Grand Olympic Auditorium in Los Angeles, a newly refurbished arena, which was the home for Los Angeles wrestling for decades. The schedule right now is promoters Abel DeLuna and Carl Lauer Los Angeles are going to promote every other Saturday as opposed to the traditional Friday nights at the Olympic of yesteryear, so it's not compete for talent with CMLL's biggest show of the week on Fridays in Mexico City. The initial lineup is Vampiro Casanova, Jorge Lisco Jr., Blue Damon Jr. gets pet off, Black Magic, and Grant Marcus Jr. Enrique Mendoza, Agada Salataria, and Mascara Magica against Arcanelo de Muerte, Hakon Negro Jr., and a mystery. Women's match with the Michael Jordan of Wrestling, Japan's Akira Hokuto, and La Diabolica against Lady Apache and Cynthia Moreno, plus local Superboy and Rey Mysterio Sr., not Jr., against Capitan Oro and Ultraman, who Dave believes is FMW wrestler Damian Cesar who most recently worked for AAA's Black Cats manager, along with Chavo Amando Guerrero against Prisby Indu and another partner, which means not to expect Chavo Amando on future eight AAA IWC shows in California. Scheduled for a second show May 28th will be Los Brazos, Mocho Cota, Mano Negra, Negro Casas, Vampiro, and Black Magic. They're charging high prices, $17 per ticket, average. So going bi-weekly sounds too much, but we'll have to see. First show should draw a decent crowd by U.S. standards, but Dave Dow still it'll approach the AAA and WF crowds in Los Angeles. It's going to be tough to maintain this going by weekly with the high cost of flying in so many wrestlers in Mexico City and high ticket prices in the 74-50-seat arena. The current plan for AAA is to run IWC shows on June 4th at the Amphitheater in Chicago and June 5th at the Paramount in New York. We have lineups expected to be available by next week. Although venturing outside of California Future Libre is definitely a major roll of the dice. So, yeah. They want to run Los Angeles on a regular basis, but uh, it's not going to be a success. Let's put it that way. Yeah. How long did it last? Go ahead. 
Boaz, how long did it last? No, I was saying to you, go ahead. Yeah. Not long. <laughs> yeah, um, not long at all. I mean, the other thing, too, is based on what I'm guessing would be the last AAA Los Angeles show, because it's the only one that Chavo's on. I gotta think Chavo wasn't coming back to the AAA Los Angeles shows anyway after uh, the whole st- stunt with Jake. What was it? Jake was chasing him with the snake around the locker room because he owed him money? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not where you want to be. Well, also, it seems like whatever happened was potentially... Maybe not Chavo's fault, but Chavo's definitely going through some stuff. Because there's also the whole story where Kurt Brown uh, gives him change to use the payphone, and whatever happened, he then sees Chavo, like, banging his head against the payphone. Yeah, not good. Alright, let's go to Oregon. The Oregon Pro Wrestling Federation, promoted by Ron Barber, had boosted crowds up to the four to 500 level using Buddy Rose and Scott Norton as the headliners, and is now running weekly. Jimmy Snooker wore two shirts earlier this month. Norton beat Rose to win the group's title on April 16th, which was on April 2nd when Snooker and Mike Miller wrestled Rose and Norton when Norton actually hit Rose, who was pinned. Rose had refused to tag in most of the match, so Norton mainly worked with Miller. Norton sold almost nothing. Crush, who lives in nearby Oregon City, like you thought he really lived in Hawaii, was also at the car doing an interview saying he was negotiating to work for this group. Since Sandy Barr can't run in Oregon due to the commission, he's moved across the river to Vancouver, Washington. The crowds have been below 100. Billy Jack Haynes had went to Barr's group to be his tro- top drawing card and got the crowd up to 350 a few weeks back, but I suspected that tag team didn't last long, and Haynes is gone. Art Love Machine Barr, did an interview on one of the TV shows last month, said he'd be back in May along with the top AAA wrestlers. And it kind of was. On TV this past week, they started having an outdoor show in late May in Vancouver, Washington, with Machine, Eddie, Blue Panther, Pedro Aguayo, and Neil DeSanto being brought in. Man, we talked about that on an episode Between the Sheets that when that happened. All right, the results of this OPWF show, we had a battle royal won by the little nasty boy, Ole Olsen over the bodyguard, Billy Two Eagles over John Rambo by disqualification, Bart Sawyer going to double count out with Buddy Wayne, Diamond Timothy Flowers over Mike Miller, Moon Dolmaretti over the Riot Maker, and Norton over Buddy to win the OPWF title. The wild and wacky world of Oregon wrestling in the yeah. 90s. Lots of stuff going on here with different promotions trying to start up and not having success. And Norton, I would guess, is here as a favor to someone that he worked with in Portland previously. Yeah, probably. Because he's the only outsider and i don't think he lived there past his run in the territory no so kind of random but so yeah again are they clearly they're not considered opposition to sandy Barr because they're using the same talent but pretty much well it's not like sandy Barr can give anyone full-time work either so it can't run in oregon oh yeah that too at this we're at that point i guess (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah his quote-unquote oregon shows are vancouver washington mm-hmm. and he's not uh he's not charging the ticket in vancouver he's charging the park <laughs> yeah well because that, that was an issue with the washington commission yeah i guess no i thought it was the the oregon commission that he had that dispute with or I thought yeah, it no, was yeah, no, no, no. Went to Vancouver. No, 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 no. I, I think it was. I think it was what I think it was in Oregon because 
it was getting a, I think it was getting around his suspension technically wasn't it or it, it getting around the commission I don't think well yeah he wouldn't have run in Washington if he had all the same issues with the commission I would think um so I'm pretty sure that was in Oregon because there was the whole thing of charging for parking and saying they were wrestler workouts instead of a wrestling card. And I think that was all because of the back and forth with Bruce Anderson in Oregon. And now let's close that with the World Wrestling Federation. The agreement was reached on April 14th to move the steroid trial of Titan and Vincent Mann from his scheduled date from on May the 2nd back to July 5th. No reason was released for the postponement, although it wasn't unexpected. Because of a man trial's federal rather than state deal, it can't be aired on court TV, which thought it could draw ratings with the trial, and cameras won't be allowed in the courtroom. Okay. And real quick, ESPN's working on a major feature leading them to the trial. Go ahead. Wait a second. Are we to read this as if Dave is saying they had no idea at first the cameras aren't allowed in federal courtrooms? I know we're early in the era of cameras in the courtroom as being a regular thing, but still, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure what I make of his phrasing and stuff there. Yeah, oh, they figured it could draw ratings, blah, blah, blah. Um, hmm. I'm assuming that means someone brought it up and then they're like, someone just looks and it's like, oh, it's a federal trial. Right. I got to think that if you're court TV, you know that. <laughs> so, um, I, I don't think anything changes with how the trial itself goes if it happens earlier. But I do kind of wonder if anything else changes from the trial happening earlier. You yeah. know, you don't get you don't get Hogan uh, plugging Bash at the beach on his way out of the courtroom. No, that's probably the main thing. Well, if it also starts earlier, I mean, how does that affect him in WCW anyway? Well, he's already signing in principle, so. Yeah. I don't know, but it is what it is. Yeah, and I'll say this, though. If it was not a federal trial, or if cameras were allowed in a federal courtroom, I think it would have been a much big— it, it was still a fairly major news story and was covered nationally as the trial was going on, but I think it would have been a lot bigger, although it's hard to say because— of the OJ preliminary hearings, you know, the early ones happening at the same time. Yeah. Which, by the way, yeah, when people say OJ helped distract from the steroid trial, the OJ trial is not till 95. <laughs> it's it's the preliminary hearings start to get going around the same time as Vince's trial. Yes. Uh, yet another lawsuit involving WF is ongoing involving Chuck Austin. Jobber who suffered a broken neck at the December 1990 match against the Rockers. The trial began on April 19th. The injury came when Marty Giannini did a move where he put his leg over Austin's neck and jumped down. Johnny Ace is Ace Crusher in Japan. What? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> He's right. He's right. It's you. I think it's the Ace Crusher two. Okay, Ace Crusher two. See, something like that. That's, or Ace that's what threw v me off. Or something. Yeah, that threw me off. The only wrestler Dave knows of doing the move today is Santo in Mexico. But Austin landed on his head instead of his face, which paralyzed him from the neck down. Austin can now walk with crutches. Austin, who filed suit in 1991, sued Gennetti, Shawn Michaels, and Titan for assault and battery, negligence, and misrepresentation. Both Gennetti and Michaels testified in the trial. Team Malenko and Killer Kowalski were being brought in by Titan as expert witnesses. While Austin's side has brought in Bruno San Martino as an expert witness on April 20th. Okay. 
So we talked about this a lot earlier, you know, in the context of Jesse. Um, okay. You know, so, that, I mean, I don't think people are skipping the WCW section if they're listening to this, so I don't think I need to rehash all that. But as far as, you know, some of what's mentioned here, you know, the big thing ends up being that it's like this $26 million plus damages award that ends up being reduced and there ends up being a settlement as a result or the lawyer ends up suing the firm over the split of it and all that and leaves for a different firm or starts his own i forget which um on the underlying issue i think i'll kind of go to Bo, and i'll ask him about this Bo, you you've seen the clip at some point that aired on inside edition of austin taking the rocker dropper right or should i pull it up Mm-hmm. okay so you've seen it it's it's been a long time ago. But based on what you know, and I'll pull it up so you can see it potentially. Um, how do I put this? I mean, if this is him being green and potentially badly trained and not knowing how to take it, right? Even with right. the Right, because he put his head, instead of just falling flat on his face, if I remember correctly, he ducked, he tucked his head. Yes. Now, do you think he was trying to take a more elaborate bump or do you think this is just him being green and instinctively well wait you don't tuck your chin on a front bump though right so no you just go down turn your head and fall flat so do you think he's trying to take a flip bump like what do you think is happening i i think he's green i think he's nervous as can be because he's on tv on the wwf and it just happened. Now, as far and, as I know... Oh, go ahead. And it just... It was one of those things. And I don't think Marty was at fault with anything because he tries to protect him. He's not landed with his weight on him or, you know... Because if you look right there, when, when he realized... Because he kind of goes up and then down... When he goes up, you see Marty in the air kind of shift his weight to make sure to take care of him. Let's see. Curious to see what you're talking about there. Um, Watch right here. The guy stands straight up and see Marty moves. When he lands, his leg's not even... Yeah, I can, yeah Marty tries to shift his leg as far as off of the back of Austin's head mid-move he so he's not driving him. him into the mat yeah yeah i see i've never see, seen that part brought up before so you think it's just being green and nerves you don't think it's the wwe yeah. version that he was trying or what i think had become one of the versions that went around that he was trying to take a flip bump or something i mean he possibly could be seeing how he went up and then went you know yeah and, and you see Marty too, also checking on him as he's rolling him over. He's well, talking look at, to him. Look at what look at the finish. How light that was. Oh yeah, yeah. Sean doesn't. They knew. They knew it. Now he shouldn't have turned him yeah, over. They're... But they get the hell out of there too. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. running to the back. <laughs> yeah, they knew. They knew. Okay, this this is not good. No, I, I, I just I he he made a mistake. And it cost him a lot. Yeah. The other but you can see Marty trying to take care of him. Yes. Yes. Now, the other thing I'll ask you, though, you know, I know Florida's not your scene, but it's still in the South. 
in a manner of speaking. Was Cliff Sheets at this time a reputable trainer, or was he really not a known quantity or an experienced wrestler until later? Uh, as far as you know. I would have not I would have not heard of him then, so I mean, I don't know. Because, like, you know, it's not, he's not the type of guy you'd find results who? for, so it's hard to find. Cliff Sheets, who did jobs on WCW TV and stuff, was who trained. Oh, yeah, yeah he's, but, he was around. But what I'm saying is who else came from there? Because you have to remember, this is when the wrestling schools start popping up everywhere. And one thing we should note, too, and it's brought up in the uh, American Journal piece, even though if you're, you know, wrestling, it doesn't really reflect well on him. I don't know if it's talking about really talking about him assisting at Cliff Sheets' school, um, which I think was what, Coastal Pro Wrestling, something like that. But in the full feature, they talk about him like training wrestlers already, even though he hasn't really had any matches of note before this. Right. So to me, that always seemed like a big red flag that he just didn't know what he was doing. Um, yeah. Now it does come up in the trial that you can fault this some of this to he doesn't know what he's doing, in part because when they bring out Malenko to demonstrate it with Janetti on mats in the courtroom, Austin's lawyer is like, well, wait a second. This is a veteran wrestler from a wrestling family who runs a wrestling school. You know, it's not that it's not a comparable situation. So... You can see why they lost, and look, if we're being realistic, they had already started to make some changes, but in the grand scheme of things, they needed to have this happen and lose this lawsuit. Not, You know what I mean? It shouldn't, Obviously, it should have never happened, but they particularly needed to lose the lawsuit to never book job guys like this again, to start going through more reliable people who they knew would get them trained wrestlers most of the time. I say most of the time because of... George, gorgeous, not gorgeous, George, George South and Italian Stallion, you know, picking up the Hardys when they weren't and bringing them along when they weren't really trained yet. Yeah. But even then, the Hardys were also by way of athleticism and having figured things out on the trampoline and stuff enough. The Hardys at least had enough of an idea of what they were doing that something like this never would have happened to them. Yeah. All right. And they were working several nights a week. Yeah. All right, we got TV tapings to talk about. Let's go to the Pro Wrestling Tours for detailed rundowns on those. April 13th in Rochester, New York, uh, had Superstars tapings where Diesel, managed by Shawn Michaels, pinned Razor Ramon in about six minutes. Michaels uh, ripped the padding off the turnbuckle, Diesel threw Razor into it, and then hit the powerbomb lead to the pinfall. Michaels' uh, mannerisms were said to be great at ringside, working the crowd well. Diesel got some cheers as usual, but mainly booed due to Razor's popularity. The match was well-paced, but short for television purposes. I like that... Um, is there, and, and this is for the IC title, too. I know, that's what I was about to say. I like that Wade never mentions that this is a title's change. Yes, I know, right? Uh, the night before Syracuse at the Challenge Tapings, we'll have more on that in a minute, a dry run of a similar match, move for move to a place with Diesel losing by DQ to Razor by Shaw's interference. There were some subtle changes the next night for the title change, but overall, similar match until the finish. Diesel will now be defending the Intercontinental title against Razor in a series of house show matches rather than challenging Razor. Diesel may be in store for a big push over the next few months in order to book him in somewhat of a throwaway title match on June 19th's King Ring show in Baltimore against Bret Hart. With Diesel in the title match, that allows tournament to be loaded with Lex Luger, Yokozuna, and the top names. However, final decision by the WF officials has not been submitted to cable companies. They don't need to submit lineups until six weeks for pay-per-view. 
but that happens, more or less. I mean, he gets yeah. the title shot, and I don't know if I'd say that year's King of the Ring was particularly loaded, though, in terms of name value. Mm, well, it's loaded because of Art Donovan. <laughs> yeah, he was definitely loaded. <laughs> How much you weigh, Gorilla? <laughs> the, the actual best one is when um one two three kid comes out and he says oh who's this next guy randy is he a boxer <laughs> <laughs> yes all right so at the superstars tapings as well we had earthquake over bam bam bigel on a dark opener Howard Finkel interviewed sean and diesel mabel doink and the heavenly bodies managed by jim Cornette won squashes and um, Dr. Tom told Bo that 1994 WF was the shits. So there you go. Uh, Wait a second. Ra- Dr. Tom said something was the shits? I'm shocked. <laughs> it's not like he uses that phrase over and over again when he doesn't like something. <laughs> well, that's true. Diesel Finn Razor won the title. Bigelow won a squash. Lawler interviewed Dink. But insisted it wasn't a King's Court because his guest wasn't worthy of being a guest in the real King's Court. Doink came out like he was about to hit Lawler with his two pies. But instead, the last second had an unsuspecting Dink. Then he sprayed Dink instead of Lawler, brought out ketchup, mustard, and Burger King champ, then began, but squirted Dink instead. Lawler finally said, hey, you're a pretty funky clown. Fans started booing, dunking, dunk, doinked in a mask, and revealed himself to be Jeff Jarrett, which, which I think we played this for, actually masquerading as Doink. I'm not sure if we did that week, but... Well, we're doing one. If, if we haven't done it, we'll do it when we get to the, that week at air, because yes. it's uh, taping. But what I was going to say, though, is... This is easily the best. I mean, he's, you know, uh, Ray Apollo's not in it, but this is easily the best thing that happens in the entire run of Babyface Doink, this angle. Yes. This is tremendous, and Jeff does a great job with it, too. Which I always did. I, I, it's actually surprising they didn't go to this well more, though, because the Doink paint and the wig really did a phenomenal job of hiding people's faces and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like... You couldn't really tell which was which with like Bourne and Kern or Lombardi unless the paint started coming off. The only only reason it's noticeable when they first do it at Mania Nine with Bourne and uh Kern is that Bourne had wrestled the long match and most of the paint was gone and you could see it was Matt Bourne. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Also, we had the Bushwhackers win the squash. Teddy Biasi then came to the ring and brought Nikolai Volkov out of the stands. This is Volkov's past achievements, but stress former when talking about Volkov being a great former star. Debiase said he can make Volkov a million dollars if he wrestles for him. Volkov refused, but Debiase reminded Volkov how his family in Russia was counting on him for food money. Since they're foot money. Uh, you can't live on pride, he said. Finally, Volkov reluctantly agreed to wrestle for Debiase. Then an unusual spell, more than five minutes of dead time followed, which happened a couple of times at this marathon taping, upsetting the fans in attendance. Mabel Pimpierre clean the singles match. Kid, Luger, Jarrett, Quang, Ambaum won squashes. After his match, Jarrett offered to finally sing for the fans. I love the hockey talk, man. But then refused and didn't cheer loud enough. In a match day for USA Network, Mania All-American, Jarrett and the Quebecers beat Mellon Mission in Doink. Kurt Byer, Dick the Destroyer Byer's son, beat Jim Myers, son of George Animal Steel, in a tryout match. Earthquake and Volkov won squashes. Volkov took orders reluctantly from DiBiase to keep beating on his opponent after pinning him. Zonka won the final squash of the night. Luger beat Jarrett by submission, and Brett beat Owen to close out the evening. Brett spent several minutes shaking hands with fans at ringside. 
Many fans had left because the taping took so long, and many who stayed were disgruntled with a number of squashes and delays. Yokozuna was scheduled to face Luger, but no show this night, and the other two taping nights, no reason was given. That's weird. Yeah. That he <laughs> that Yokozuna no-showed an entire cycle of tapings? And nothing happened yeah. to him? Okay. Well, <laughs> he was the top heel, so... Well, well he's there. not the top heel anymore. <laughs> he's still kind of this time. I he mean, he just lost the title to Brett. That's a, I know, no, he's, but he's still, he's still kind of the top heel, though. Mm-hmm. But my thing is, is if you go to a TV taping and you, and you don't expect a bunch of squashes, especially with WWF, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm guessing it's more the delays really throwing things off. Well, I understand that. But, I, I mean, when I went to WCW tapings, I knew in advance. I'm not getting out of here until after midnight, sometimes one in the morning. <laughs> That's going to happen. That's just the way it fucking is. So, anyway. The Power Twins got a tryout on the April 12th challenge tapings in Syracuse, but challenge now on so few markets of syndication, very little when it comes to angles and advanced storylines is done at those tapings. Was it really on in much fewer markets than it had been before at this point? That's what Dave's saying. Even before Dave right there. The, the NFL and baseball stuff. We didn't have it. Fox. We, we lost it around this time period. But I forget, it did came you have back. Atlanta or Macon? Bacon. It came back, but it, it was lost for a little bit. Which, which show was it? Challenge. Yeah, it wasn't on here. Yeah. It, uh, it, it was on... It only was on here maybe a couple years. But we got superstars forever. Yeah. We always had superstars, too. Challenge was hit and miss. Yeah. All right. The tapings began with a dark opener with the Steiners being the Quebecers by DQ. Then we had Savage, Bigelow, Luger, Jarrett, Quang, and Kid, along with the Tonka and Squashes. In a dark match, Owen Hartpin, Moe, Johnny Polo, interviewed Brett. Power Twins got their tryout, so be nothing special. The Quebecers, Steiners, Earthquake, and Virgil won squashes. Heavenly Bodies beat the Bushwhackers. Doint won a squash. Quang pinned the one, two, three kid. Harvey Woodman was interviewed. Sparky Plug won a squash. Bam Bam fought Mabel to a double count on a match tape for Coliseum Video. During the match section, the fans were chanting, whoops, you suck, at Middle the Mission. <laughs> when, the two brought us, <laughs> yeah. when the two brought us out the ring, Bigelow threw Mabel into the ring post. Mabel flew past the ring post and happened to land in the first row on top of the fans who were chanting. <laughs> two women were injured as a result and had to be taken to the hospital with hand and knee injuries, respectively. Middle the Mission were questioned about the incident and may face disciplinary action. The WF locker room talk continues to be that Mabel is unpopular with me and the wrestlers for his reckless wrestling style and nonchalant attitude. Wow. Razor beat Diesel by DQ in the dry run dart match. Luger over Jarrett, the torture act. Jarrett's new ringer includes him strutting in front of strobe lights with new flashy sunglasses. In a dart main event, Brett pit Owen with a roll reverse cradle. During the match, Brett walked past ringside and the fans said, Woo! And Brett politely and matter of factly responded, When are you going to realize that Flair is old news? <laughs> <laughs> that's Brett yeah uh, Bo did you ever hear anything like that about, about Mabel I was around Mabel in, in Memphis um, I always found him to be very nice good guy uh, I never worked with him Roger and Frank worked with him some uh, I was around him some in the Carolinas when they worked for George and Stow 
but there was always that thing there that he will fall on you or he'll drop a leg on you or, you know, he will do something to hurt you. And Rex King, you know, all the way to his death held, that was what killed their run in New York was getting hurt by him. Um, so that was, that was always the rep. Personality wise. I always got the impression that he mellowed out as time went on because I remember, I think it was new Jack's torch talk where men on a mission come up and he says something to the effect of Mo is really cool. Mabel is a dick. <laughs> um, the injury thing though, and the recklessness, I mean that, that, uh, that's pretty much an issue throughout his whole career. I remember. Yeah. I remember talking to people who was an issue with, you know, during his last WWE run. So it, yeah. he got all things considered, especially for someone who was not a huge star or a draw. He really did get a lot of chances considering that, you know, well-deserved reputation, especially when you have an, you know, you know, Yokozuna's weight starts to get out of control in later in 94 and into 95 from where it was, but you have a another agile super heavyweight who oh you know is a better worker overall and who is safe like what why do you need him what why did he get so many chances i wonder i wonder just, how much of it's just that he was so tall too just his pure size and when he walked down the aisle people said my god look at that guy i mean that's that's what it was but he wasn't malicious. It's just he was, I don't know if clumsy or whatever is the right word. Right? He's just so big, and you get that much weight moving and coming. I mean, there's, what can you do? So would the yeah. difference between him and someone like Yokozuna then be that Yoko's a guy from a wrestling family and just more of a natural and just is going to have a better innate sense of how to protect someone? Just, and he wasn't always that big. I mean, he, yeah. He was big when he was Coquina, but he wasn't that big. Sure. So he could do it. He never stopped. Even though he's gaining the weight, he's still doing the same stuff and still knows how to do it. Mabel was always that big. From the first time I ever saw him till the end, he was that big. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. Yes. It, you know, that's what happens sometimes with big guys. Yes. Now, speaking of people who Mabel injured. The almost non-existent heel tag team inside WF roster took a blow this past week when Jacques of the Quebecers gave his notice. His finish date or finality of his decision were not known as the press time, to, according to the torch. His finish date could be several weeks or months away. With Vince McMahon hitting that Scott and Rick Steiner may not always get along and that they may break up on this week's Raw, it's possible Scott's being groomed as a heel singles wrestler, perhaps to finish as a challenger for Bret Hart. Before Scott had really proven himself, and before Red Life and Zeke's became a major mainstream media issue, there was a considerable push within WCW boardrooms a few years ago for Scott to be given the chance as the Young Lion World Champion. After he was unable to carry his end of a clash main event against Ric Flair, that talk subsided. Now, though, especially if he turned heel, he may be in a position to carry his end of a main event world title feud, especially if Jim Cornette and Teddy Biasi became his manager. It was step in a remarkable brother versus brother feud. If both siders turn, not just Scott, they could fill the top heel team slot that would be vacated by the Quebecers, which also seems possible given McMahon's commentary on the recent Raw. Well, I guess I should clarify, too. The story is that Pierre got hurt, but still. I wonder what Jacques' reasoning was. I guess it's just that he wanted to retire for 
the time being, given what happens later in the year. But, well, first of all, what, what Ted DiBiase as a manager promos is Wade watching that he thinks that would be a good idea? <laughs> well, my well, my thing is, though, is Steiners leave. So that's two promotions that they leave when the promotion is trying to turn Scott heel. Yes. Yeah. And that's something. How, how old would a jock, jock been at this time? Early 40s? Yeah. yeah. Late 30s, early 40s. He's been well, on he that. He would have been. He's uh, been on he, that. He was. Wow, oh, wow no, he's, he's 34. Only... He's not even 33. He's 33. Really? Because he starts at he's 17 when he debuts. Okay. That's what I was getting ready to say because he was here in Knoxville in 79. He was 19. He was in Georgia. Wow. Before then. Yeah. Okay. But also. Look how long he had been on that WWF schedule. Mm-hmm. All he had breaks, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, but even with breaks, he'd been on that schedule since the mid-'80s. Mm-hmm. Working in those hard rings, the travel. I mean. And he got kids. And kids he, are getting older. Seen, yeah. He's got a family. He knows he can promote in Montreal, make money. He's probably did well. And, and took care of himself financially. So, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it's just interesting the Steiners are leaving the second promotion after they want to turn them. So, there you go. Uh, the first vignette of Duke the Dumpster Drosy, Mike Drosy from Florida, who worked the Indies as Rocco Gibraltar, love that name, doing the Garbage Man gimmick started airing. You know what's weird about Dave phrasing all that that way? At this point... Mike Trosi is best known for being number 500 in the PWI 500 as the Garbage Man. <laughs> he's but Rocco Gibraltar is such a cool name. It is, but still, like he's not best known as Rocco Gibraltar. Well. They also began setting the stage for an eventual sumo match with Yokozuna versus Earthquake. Earthquake actually did sumo for several years and was pretty famous and successful lower-level sumo. Supposedly, Quake doesn't like the idea of these matches. Well, <laughs> they, I wonder why. they do the one on Raw... It's really good. Quake goes over, and that's the last we see of Earthquake in the World Wrestling Federation. Yes. Good the IRS to, yeah. the IRS to talk angle with Chief J. Strombo involved, Aaron on virtually every show over the weekend. Dave suspects to lead the Strombo to talk corner house shows down the line. Well, let's go to the clip, and let's watch this, shall we? So how many weeks earlier was it that he got the headdress? Because I know we covered that a year or two ago. I think it was yeah. two or three. Yeah. It wasn't long. Not it was long. only a few weeks that he had it, I think. Yeah, wasn't well, long. Tonka! And you wonder if Tataka has noticed the presence of Erwin R. Scheister. If he has, it has to be distracting. Well, certainly it'll be distracting because he knows that with Erwin R. Scheister around, he's going to have to do the right thing. He's going to have to eventually pay the gift tax on that buzzard feather headdress. Yeah, I can tell you this. I think he just signed. Did Tatanka just take a bump for nothing? Look that oh, way. Hair. It, oh, well, I think he it wasn't hair. <laughs> it wasn't pronounced. Time he'll catch him, I assure you. How else is Erwin Arshester supposed to determine the worth and the value of that, oh. uh, what do you call it, a headdress? Wang, all over Native America, Tatanka, and it, this is unfair. The official is allowing, wait a minute, 
three. What do you mean it's unfair? He's doing nothing but observing the match. He has no business being at ringside, and you know it. Look at Wang looking back over this way. <laughs> Could there be? See, all he's doing is looking at the headdress. Yeah. No problem. Could there be a plan here between Irwin and Quang? As there was perhaps once before. Irwin getting closer and closer to the headdress. You love to jump to conclusions, don't you? Tataka chopping away. Tataka with a vengeance. Tataka now with Quang to the far side. No, reversal coming up. Just drilled to Tonka. Irwin continues to look on. All he's doing is a, probably an itemized appraisal of that headdress. Itemized appraisal. Exactly. Look, this was a gift. And it has no monetary value. It has That's unbelievable intrinsic value to Tonka. said that it's priceless if it's priceless that means it's worth well you can't even put a price on it it's worth so much so he should have to pay the tax coming off the rug Tataka underneath and oh he oh my goodness Tataka was nailed and I must say I continue to be impressed with the martial arts skills of Quang and Cooper has got him no he doesn't Tataka started this match with 32 teeth but I think he's trying for none Tataka. And to, hey, wait a minute. He's touching those feathers. That's okay. That's okay. It's not okay. Tataka trying to get Quang off of him. Tataka chopping away on Quang. Tataka just looked right in the eyes of the IRS. And it's Tataka to the buckle. Wait a minute. IRS has the feathers. Tataka sees it here. He comes after all. Did we just have a DQ for no reason? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless there was like a throat thrust or something we didn't see, which doesn't sound like a thing they did. We missed. Which and is... he kept saying, what was that? But <laughs> well, and it's, it's a pre-WWF show, so I don't think they'd leave out something that they cut away from whatever actually drew the DQ. <laughs> so that was weird. Get in there! Does, has no business! Oh, he missed it him. There you go. <laughs> Let me go back a second to see if we can see that. Come on. Okay. Quang! Tataka just looked right in the eyes of IRS! And it's Tataka to the buckle. Wait a minute. IRS has the fetish. Tataka sees it here. He comes after all. No! There it is. What was that? They used the worst possible camera angle, though. You would think. Yeah, but you saw it. It was clear when you see it. Once, once you know it's there, but... Yeah, when you know it's there, yeah. I, they were using a ringside camera shot where the middle rope got in the way of it, though. Yeah. That's very strange. Well, <laughs> if Vince was sitting in on the editing of the main shows, which wouldn't shock me if it di he did, I'm guessing he's doing that less at this time. Well, there's reasons for that, yes. I don't know if he did, but... If he was, he probably wouldn't be doing that at this time. Tataka on his way! Look, get in there, Rap! Get in there! IRS does, has no business! Tataka covered in that green slime! That is 
Tonka's quite a little actress, isn't he? Sure sounds like Nancy Kerrigan there, doesn't he? <laughs> that was a that was a, heat, that was a heat angle though. You know, that's a rarity for WF at this point in time. Yeah, and I noticed a few interesting yes. things. One, you like you really notice it is trying to be a heavy heat angle. A heavy heat angle with Erwin R. Scheister, <laughs> who 
is it's never actually established. Is he just a guy who likes taxes? Does he work for the Internal Revenue Service? Is he like it never really made sense what he was supposed to be. The other thing, I thought this was kind of interesting, especially for a major heavy angle. And I'd be curious as we want if we watch other stuff and to keep this in mind. Vince does not do the pitch shifting new generation Vince voice here. And I'm curious no. to see now in other angles and stuff on superstars if he does. Or if it was strictly a raw and pay-per-view thing. Because this is the type of angle where you'd expect him to do it. You know well, what I mean? It's a serious, a serious angle, Vince. So he can't be like, oh, it's serious, 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 serious. Which, by the way, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I don't know if either of you saw the Rob Bartlett appearance on the Brian and Vinny show, Um, because they put the whole thing on their YouTube, even if you're not an Observer site subscriber. But, you know, when he talks about the episode of Raw, where he's, quote unquote, not Vince McMahon doing the Vince bit, you know, and he's talking about how he just says nonsense at points and not even words, like the example he gives is doing the Vince pitch shifting. So. Yeah. Well, anyway, it definitely wasn't uh, Ernie Ladd and Chief Jack Strombo from 1980, George. I can tell you that, that angle. But it was still uh, a heat angle nonetheless. There you go. All right, Randy Savage did about the worst job in history on color on the April 18th Raw. Bottom line, the most overused phrase in wrestling history, he was overbearing and had nothing to say. <laughs> that's what Dave said about Raw. That's all he said about Raw. So let's go to Wade Keller. Raw opened with a scene from last week of Lawler falling off his throne. Bret, Bret Hart beat Quang on the sharpshooter nine minutes at the competitive match. Owen, Owen was interviewed by Vince and Randy during the match. He was better than his brother and deserved a title shot. WrestleMania Revenge Tour was plugged with specific dates and locations. Jeff Jarrett won a squash. Throughout the match, current events were used to make the show seem live. This announcement was done this weekend in post-production, including a reference to Jarrett being jealous over Tanya Harding being offered a country music singing deal. Lou Albano demanded that Jack Tunnigray, his team, a title shot, make the announcement next week. Steiners won a squash. During the match, Scott wrestled aggressively, almost heel-like. I mean, a man threw the first hands that the Steiners may break up. Then the Duke Dressy segment aired with the former garbage man collecting trash. On King's Court, Jerry Lawler interviewed Alondra Blaze. Luna joined Blaze. They talked about challenging for the women's title. Earthquake won a squash. During the match, man referred to Earthquake's legitimate school background. Then they replayed the IRS Tonka angle. IRS won a squash. Johnny Polo talked about Albano's challenge. Now, some special effects for big name interests continue to set the wrestlers, such as Hart this week and Luger in past week, apart. The Lunger Blaze Luna angle was awkward and confusing. Overall score 64 out of 100. Match quality 11 out of 20. Achieve purpose 12 out of 20. Angles 6 out of 10. Interviews 6 out of 10. Announcing 7 out of 10. Production values 9 out of 10. Pacing, 5 out of 10. And send it to tune in next week, 8 out of 10. Hmm. Now, even though Raw didn't have a whole lot going on, they had, got some good news because the, the April 18th edition of Raw set the all-time record for the show with a 3.7 rating, meaning it was viewed in 2.324 million homes. For the largest viewing audience to see any wrestling television show in the United States in several years. The television main event for the show was Bret Hart versus Quang for the WF title, which certainly on the surface doesn't seem like a record breaker. Raw ratings have been essentially strong over the past several weeks and been buoyed by, greatly by the leading of Murder, She Wrote, which is the most popular show on cable right now. It did a 4.5 rating as a lead-in. Holy shit. Wow. 
trying to use that strong lean-in as complete explanation for a record rating would be a fallacy, since numerous wrestling shows have had super lean-in ratings and failed to hold them, but it doesn't hurt. Well, we got kind of this right now with AEW and the Big Bang Theory, Bix. You know? Yeah, maybe not as big an increase, though. Well, well, different times, too, yeah. but still. And, oh, so for the record, I just checked Matt Watch. Um... This was a 4.9 share in 2.03 million homes, ranked 7th for the week on cable. Just to give it some perspective relative to Murder, She Wrote. In the days when the old NWA Saturday Night Show on TBS was always one of the five highest rated shows on cable, its lead-ins, usually either fishing or auto racing shows, delivered horrible ratings. Lead-ins were never seen an issue in those days. That changed when the ratings for wrestling plummeted, and some looking for a scapegoat started blaming the fishing show, which gave them no lead-in. When the fishing has leaned in with how, replacement. How dare they <laughs> how dare they besperch the name of Dave Despain and uh, Orlando Wilson? <laughs> yes. When the fishing as a lean in was replaced with movies, some of which were higher rated than wrestling and led to no increase in wrestling ratings. Aside from Raw, none of the television numbers are noteworthy in recent weeks, which is a story because WCW believed running the store on Hulk Hogan, even before he signed with the company would generate a big ratings increase, so it'd be thus worth it even if he didn't sign. However, while Hogan has proven to be a draw, at least initially, on Thunder Paradise, this didn't translate to WCW, which saw their numbers actually drop since the Hogan storyline with Flair began. Two figures equal to what it was doing a year ago during the same time of the year. Most likely, the ratings will continue to drop over the next few weeks because that's the seasonal pattern of afternoon slash early evening wrestling viewing. I guess this is just a matter of this is the first time that Murder, She Wrote has really been in reruns, right? Yes. Like, it didn't have a off-network broadcast syndication run, I don't think. No. So, that's kind of interesting, and I don't know how long it holds up for, but, you know, gave us all our memories of uh, the Vince voiceover promoting Raw being next as the uh, incongruous to Vince's voiceover theme song plays. Yeah. Yep. Uh, beside the record saying 3.7 for Raw, other ratings for the weekend was 2.1 for All-American and 1.3 for Mania. And the tour said they're going to be bringing in all of its high-tech special effects on the road to house shows. It's a major expense, and it's a gamble that making the house show seem special will pay off in the long run and revive a significant portion of WS revenue base. Not only do house show receipts provide compatible, comparable revenue each year to pay-per-views, but merchandise is sold to record to customers at arenas. An element missing for pay-per-views. The officials hope that WrestleMania Revenge Tour title will bring more people out along with the lineups being considered loaded, with only one show per night, and all their superstars on each car. If the tour idea works and the fans respond positively to the special effects, laser lights, smoking interest, etc., WF may finally embark on the long talked about concept of running all house shows on a tour light basis, with every arena event being hyped as part of a tour with a theme. And they do. Yes. Now with theme tours. Yeah, so we get WrestleMania Revenge Tour. I don't remember what they called the summer tour. Oh, was we had the summer, Heart Attack. Yeah, Heart Attack Tour, Holiday Wish Tour. One or two more I'm forgetting. Wasn't the Undertaker. Thing. Didn't Undertaker have one? No, you're thinking of the 50-foot Undertaker that was present, the inflatable Undertaker that was present at the Heart Attack Tour, I believe. Yeah. Um, Not mentioned here by Dave, which is really the problem with this concept. This is when they really start to go much bigger on a modernized touring schedule with proper routing and stuff. They had, they had been inching towards it for years, but there were still they still weren't all the way there. The problem is they overdo it. In New mm -hmm. York, 
they run a weekend of Nassau Meadowlands and MSG. And at the beginning with this one, I forget if they do it in the summer too, or just in, or if they do it then and then stop before the fall and the winter. They're running the same lineups too. Yeah, made no sense. You watch live event news or whatever the segment was called at the time. They're hyping for all three house shows, using the same lineups, saying it's the same lineup at every building. Which, Mm -hmm. especially in New York, where, you know, we've talked about this before. You know, Long Island and Meadowlands, you know, it's more likely people are going to have cars, so it's possible they could go to all three. But generally speaking, Madison Square Garden draws from the city and the suburbs. Nassau Coliseum mainly draws from people on Long Island and, you know, potentially, like, um, people in parts of, you know, Queens and Brooklyn with with less trains or where people are more likely to own cars. And Meadowlands draws more from, you know, North Jersey and, you know, certain parts of, you know, Manhattan near the border and stuff. Well, not the border, near the river. You know what I mean? Um... It's just a terrible idea, and that, like, the tour, the, the name tours, the themes, good idea. The implementation, <clears> terrible. There will be a Howard Finkel versus Harvey Woodman match next to Madison Square Garden show. Oh, I'll bring him in. Yeah. Uh, WF will not return to Target Center in Minneapolis until it clears the syndication slot in the Swing Cities. Tours said it currently has no clearances, and thus would not dare try to draw off cable and outside advertising alone. Reports that uh, Dave had that Mr. Perfect needed foot surgery amount of action to the end of May, which would mean he missed schedule semifinal matches on the house shows, which start this coming weekend. Former announcer Sean Mooney is now a news reporter for WOR New York. Yep, he was one of their anchors on and off. Um, this is when it first starts, and it was weird to see. Because he, yeah. like, of those types, he was so much more associated with them than anyone else yeah, that did that. It seems they're building some sort of talk show challenge with Jerry Law against Roddy Piper. Oh, I'll say. And they expect the Undertaker back at the June pay-per-view, but not appearing in a major match until SummerSlam. Well, part of that's right. <laughs> so there you go. Well, and the Undertaker isn't back in June in a manner of speaking, but yeah, not Mark Calloway. All right. That is it for show 350, Bo. We're so glad to have you back on the show. So go ahead and plug everything you got going on. Well, I'm glad to have something to plug to going on. So, <laughs> uh, of course, my Patreon, patreon.com slash king of Kingsport, two podcasts a month. We're back on schedule going good. As this drops, there would be one that dropped just a few days before this show, uh, where I'll take a look at some East Tennessee wrestling history over the years. And I've got another one coming up later in the month. Also, the Southern States Wrestling Network, southernstateswrestlingnetwork.pivotshare.com. Start your free seven-day trial. If you're a new subscriber, then it's only $4.99 a month. We're going through through 2003 and 2010 this year, plus 97. Had a little trouble with getting some of the 97 stuff converted, but Seems like we've got it figured out, so we'll be dropping a lot of 97 here in the next few days. So you can always check that out. And as I told you earlier, I have a date circled of when I hope to be back in the ring, and that date is July the 9th. And we have two big events here in East Tennessee on the 9th and one on the 10th. 
three events in about 24 hours. Uh, the first one is Village Fest at Calvary Baptist Church, 1238 Pine Street in Kingsport. That's at 1 o'clock. Then at 6.30 that evening, we'll be at the Appalachian Fairgrounds in Gray, Tennessee, which is just out. It's halfway between Kingsport and Johnson City. And then Sunday at 4 o'clock, July 10th, we'll be at the Bloomingdale Block Party Fun Fest. Kicks off that weekend. That's a citywide festival here. It goes on for two weeks in Kingsport, and that's the first weekend. And every community has a block party. We're wrestling at three of them. All the events are free. They're always fun. We did the double shot on Saturday for we missed COVID year and last year. Still did gray last year, but this is the first double shot in two years. But we've been doing these now for eight or nine years. And I hope to be back in the ring there. Everything seems to be on track. Everything seems to be going. And I'm happy. And thanks again for everybody that's uh, sent me well wishes, prayed for me, reached out to me on social media. I'm glad to be back here with Bix and Chris. I always have fun doing this. And <clears throat> if my voice is different in the second half from the first half, it's because <laughs> while they were going through the international section, I was coaching a little league ball game. So lots of yelling, lots of moving. <laughs> yeah, which I'm and sure is always a hoot. We've, we've played two games. We played Saturday and played tonight as we record. And uh, my little grandnephew, Waylon, is batting 750 through the first two games. He had two great right. stops tonight. He started at second base tonight. I've got 11 great kids. And I, I just, I'm so happy to be doing this and will probably be doing this every year now, as long as the Lord leaves me able to do it. Cause I've really enjoyed coaching and it gives me two evenings a week and it keeps me motivated. They keep me motivated. They keep me on my toes. It's a lot of fun. Our schedule is on uh pro wrestler, Bo James Facebook on my fan page. And I'll keep posting it. If you live in the area and like to come watch them, come watch them. No admission. They got concessions there. It's always fun. And we had a large crowd watching tonight. So I was real happy to see that. Kids got to play in front of a lot of people tonight. So that was real good. Well, y'all drawing a house already. Look at you. About that. Uh, Waylon, he, he, you know, your daily <laughs> dose of Waylon. He's a star. <laughs> Runs in the blood. All right. Well, Folks, if you can't get enough of Bo James, he's coming back next week. <laughs> show 351 next week is a Patreon requested show by Nick Massey. Not of the Young Bucks, but uh, another gentleman named Nick Massey. He'll be on the show for one segment because he put the $50 down to uh, be on the show. And uh, the, he wants, the segment he wants to be on is the reason why I picked the show. New Japan Pro Wrestling. The first Tokyo Dome show. So April 24th at the Tokyo Egg Dome. So we'll be talking about that. New Japan against Russia. And the IWGP tournament takes place on the show. And there's a, a lot of stuff going on with this show. So uh, we have uh, that to talk about. Plus other New Japan things. And uh, all Japan's trying to uh, go in a different direction. So we'll talk about that. We'll have some Stampede to talk about, as this is like the last great Stampede run. So there's that. We'll have, of course, news from Mexico, Puerto Rico, World Wrestling Federation. We'll have uh, Dave's thoughts on where they're at 
State of WF at the WrestleMania, and they start their ma- first major house show tour at the WrestleMania with uh, Hogan and Savage on top. And how is that doing business-wise? You may be interested to hear that. Then they take their first, their final Saturday night main event of the of the TV season. So we'll have that. Plus, we'll have superstars tapings to talk about, including an interesting uh, interaction between Bruce Grummert and the WF security. Oh, no. <laughs> Are the Najak twins involved, too? Of course, Bix. Oh, great. Great, 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 great. We'll have, we'll have news on uh, politics and wrestling in the state of Georgia. Dusty and uh, what he's doing with uh, Florida Championship Wrestling and the grandstanding he's talking about. Continental. We got news on Dr. Tom Pritchard. Is he going to the NWA or not? We'll find out more about that. We'll say wild brawl. Hey, yeah. I'm I'm going I'm going to talk because I talk to Tom every day. He called tonight while we were recording. I'm going to talk to Tom because there's this story about him going to the NWA has been out there for years. Yeah. And I've heard his side of it, but I'm going to talk to him again to get what it really was. All right. Well, we'll get the we'll get it from the horse's mouth next week up between the sheets. Yes, Marty and- DeRosa, you, you look forward to it. And we'll have a uh, we'll have highlights of a wild brawl from Continental Television as well. We'll have um, Jerry Lawler, Memphis, and the Master of Pain. We'll talk about that. And what a week of Memphis Television as Nick Goulas shows up <laughs> on Memphis Television in a wild family angle. This angle may have the record for most amount of clips for one specific angle. Five. Five clips for this angle next week on Between the Sheets. And then we'll do, go to, yeah. Do we have a Knoxville Continental card during our week? Uh, No, we have, no, we okay. have one. In, we have a house show in Georgia we'll talk about. Okay. Um, And then the other half of the Jarrett uh, group, World Class, a wild show at the Sportatorium featuring Eric Embry and Skandar Atbar on a Lose Leave Town cage match and the aftermath the next day on television is full-on insanity starring Elliot Mays, if that is his real name. And then we'll have uh, EWA news, we'll have some other indie news, and then we'll have the NWA. And uh, Dave's thoughts on where the NWA is at at this point in time and how can they catch up to the WWF. We'll have some Interesting house show results. And of course, we'll have our uh, Matt Watch talking to Jim Hurd and all kinds of other stuff. So, uh, should be quite the show next week on Between the Sheets, including uh, some clips and this and the other. And a lot of major problems they're having with TBS. <laughs> yes, the, 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 the television network that owns the company hates the wrestling company. So, we'll have a lot about that next week on Between the Sheets. But thanks as always, man. Glad to have you back, and uh, can't wait to do it again next week. Yeah, thank you, guys. Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris says so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon special edition number 66. I'm your host, Chris Zoner. Joined as always by co-host David Bixenspan. And Bix, we're going way back here on uh, this month of our, on our Patreon. 35 years to one of the watershed moments in wrestling history. Bigger. Better. Badder. Yes, WrestleMania 3. And, uh... <clears throat> yeah, like I said, it's, it's a definitely an interesting time in wrestling history at this time. As um, we'll start actually in '86, that's where everything was beginning about WrestleMania three. But um, I mean, the wrestling world still at this time is still kind of like it always was. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, 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 if, if, as we start it, it, around Thanksgiving '86, I mean, all the territories are still going, other uh, than the ones the, that closed before the expansion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess the latest one that that just closed would have been Texas All Star, but I mean, yeah, all all of your you know major territories that are have been around are still around and still. Running, although this time Crockett is in central states, so he's he's in Geigel territory, so we got that going on. But yeah, I mean, at this time, as WWF is getting ready for the biggest show in their history, I mean, the wrestling world is pretty much status quo. Yes, and even though Hogan Orndorff has drawn big, you know, especially with the exhibition stadium show that i'm sure we'll talk about more as this goes on that was coming off of wwf business really kind of dying on the vine after wrestlemania 2 yeah they went to a lull until the orndorf turn and even and even then you know even at this point in time they're doing you know great business but as far as like their q rating and yeah they got certain main events though on nbc still strong but they're not nearly as ingratiated in the in the public mindset as they were the year before. Right. What That's we're right. getting into, yeah, what we're getting into is about to change all that. Of course. But yes. But at, at this point in time, it's like they're I'm not saying on, on a down cycle by any means because they're doing great business at house shows, but it's just they're not they're not on that other level. That they were on during the the rock and wrestling era, yeah, you know. And the other so. thing I guess we could say is that, in terms of being able to headline shows with different acts, this is probably the strongest they've been since Slaughter left because Hogan, Savage, and the Bulldogs are all strong headliners in and of themselves. And and you got you know even secondary ones like JYD you know yeah. running running back up you know to whoever and yeah I mean they do have a a strong crew at this point in time absolutely all right so let's get started shall we as we go to the week of November twenty fourth nineteen eighty six Observer covered eight December the first now I do want to add something real quick even though we're not up to that part yet I'll just use this as an opportunity to say to everyone for Chris's sake 
please do not request any weeks between March and May 1987 so we don't kill him. Because that's the period where uh, where Dave Meltzer's typewriter has a broken O. <laughs> it doesn't really bother me that much. Cause well, I, you're I mean, not I... OCRing stuff. Well, we have a friend that did a lot of OCRing, you know, text recognition on that era's observers that just didn't bother with those because it requires so much fixing. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not that bad for me. I mean, the the worst thing of all the things that, that is in this era, and we talk about that on the main show, is the fucking, you know, days of the week instead of actual dates. You know, trying to figure out what's what, yes. when's when, and all that. That's 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 a bigger pain in the ass than right. a fucking oak. Later on, we have a better idea of the publication schedule. Not so much here. On Monday, this happened. Well, what fucking Monday ha- did it happen on? <laughs> you know, so just type the date. It's shit, it's shit like it's shit like that. But anyway, All right, let's go to the week of March the twenty third. Now, a lot of a lot of stuff here. PR Newswire, March thirty third, twenty third. Cranes, Detroit Business, March 23rd. The Reno Gazette Journal, March 24th. New York Times, March 26th. Lansing State Journal, March 26th. Detroit Free Press, March 26th, 27th. And Gannett News Service, March 29th. A lot. All right, so let's begin with PR Newswire. WrestleMania 3 says indoor sports entertainment attendance record according to the World's Federation. WrestleMania 3 set a record today and has become the largest indoor sports entertainment event of all time, announced by the World Wrestling Federation. The event, which takes place Sunday, March 29th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time at the Pontiac Silverdome, has broken the old indoor attendance record of 87,500 set by the Rolling Stones at the Silver Superdome in 1981. More than 88,000 people have built the Silverdome for the most exciting type of event in history. Tickets, which are priced as high as $100 for inside seats, went on sale in early February. An arena that holds attendance records for the largest NBA crowd as well as largest indoor Super Bowl audience. Mike Ibington, acting executive director of the Finance Silverdome, commented, We are proud of the attendance records which we have set with the Pistons and the NFL as well as with rock concerts, but WrestleMania 3 would be our biggest attendance by far. Headlining the 12 match extravaganza would be the FAA champion Hulk Hogan defending the title against a 7 foot 4 inch, 525 pound Andre the Giant. Also, Intercontinental Champion Randy Savage will take on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and Ryder Ryan Piper will make his farewell appearance against adorable Adrian Adonis. In addition to becoming the largest indoor event ever, WrestleMania 3 is experiencing tremendous advanced ticket sales for more than 160 closed-circuit locations across the United States and Canada. New York's Madison Square Garden has sold out. Wait a minute. Wasn't that just 1,000 tickets last week in the, in the reporting, and now it's sold out? In the Observer? Um, That's a pretty big jump. But would you put that in a press release if you still had tickets left to sell? No. So, Saturday night's main event, I guess, right? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Maple Leaf Gardens, home of Toronto's uh, Toronto Maple Leafs in the NHL. They sold all their available tickets, 11,800, in just one day. The Pittsburgh Civic Arena has even moved the start time of the Pittsburgh Penguins NHL game to 9 p.m. to accommodate a closed-circuit telecast WrestleMania 3. The event also will be carried in as many as 26 countries nationwide, worldwide, excuse me. Below is the list of largest indoor sports entertainment events in history. WrestleMania 3, Silverdome, 88,000 fans, March 87. 
Rolling Stone, Superdome, 87,500, December 1981. The Who in the Silverdome, 80,000 fans in December 1975. Pro Football, Super Bowl 16 at the Super at the Super uh, Dome in front of 81,270. U.S. Olympic team basketball, 67,596. Don't say where that's at. Major Baseball, 1979 All-Star Game. That was in Seattle, 58,905. Ali Spinks, their uh, first fight um, in 1978 in front of 63,360 at the Superdome. And Detroit Pistons at the Silverdome, February 15, 86, 44,180. And then he gets contact information for the people involved here. Including. Michael Webb. Yes. Okay, there's a lot here. First, just to get it out of the way, that Pittsburgh thing is 100% true. Yeah. Because with WrestleMania starting at 4 p.m. Eastern, they moved the Penguins game to 9 p.m. so they could do WrestleMania 3 closed circuit. Mm-hmm. That says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So here, to me, though, is the big significance to this. No, they're not a public company yet, but there's no follow-up press release a week later. There is no press release that says 93,173. Hmm. Uh, I'm curious if you see this the way I do, which is this. I think this is them saying this is a leg- the legit number. Or th- at least their way of saying that. And then, you know, 93,173 was the quote-unquote official number for entertainment purposes. Well, okay. Here's the thing. It says eighty-seven thousand five hundred. Was it eighty? Was it was total here eighty more more than eighty-eight thousand? Is That's, what they're uh, saying because it hasn't sold out yet. It's not. It doesn't sell out until. So wait, this is the twenty-third. So that's this is Monday. I think the show sells out on on th- around Thursday, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So the show hasn't sold out yet, and I'm guessing they're going to do production kills, which is why they're not giving an exact number, at least. Yeah. But where are you going with this? Um, I was thinking that, you know, they, they were thinking that was the number, and then maybe they had more than what they thought, and that's why they went with 9373. <sighs> okay, so we're going to have... At least contemporaneous. We're going to have the figures, as I think I put it in the notes, as far as how many people could just be in the building, including personnel, in a bit. But I'll bring this up now, since this is not something that's in any of the notes. Um, I had never heard this until a few years ago, but seems legitimate. Um, I think I've mentioned it to you, but I don't think, and I don't think you had heard it till I told you about it. When I did that initial Deadspin article trying to figure out what the real attendance could be, going through old newspaper articles, trying to do public record requests, etc., both Tom Buchanan, who was the you know non-Steve Taylor WWF photographer for years, and a fan who was there who posted the now-hidden Deadspin comments, reached out, Tom Buchanan emailed me, and both separately said... That when they realized, because it wasn't that well known, the show had sold out. TV was done before the show was sold out. If you didn't see the newspaper stuff about being sold out, you don't know it sold out. 
It's a big stadium event. You think you can get tickets? Once that once they realized a ton of people were showing up expecting to get in, that wouldn't be able to get tickets. They decided to let a lot of them in for free as standing room, but they weren't even getting into the stadium really to watch the show. I guess maybe there were monitors in the hallways and stuff. They were there were just people that didn't have tickets that were let in to hang out in the concourse and the restrooms and stuff. So whatever the real number is, it's absolutely more than the number of ticketed fans. Yeah. We just don't know how many people that could be. You know what I mean? It could be anywhere from a few hundred to a few thousand. But, I mean, do you get what I'm saying, though, as far as my point with this? That, like, why else are they releasing this press release a week out? Well, yeah, six days out, but still. And then not releasing a new press release Sunday or Monday, you know, after the show... If this is not kind of their way of slyly saying this is the real number. Yeah. I just it is, interesting. It I is just, an impression factor. Right. Because I just, if they were trying to impress, like, I'm sure they changed how they view this over time. But if they were trying to actually impress on people after the fact that 93, 173 was the real number, wouldn't they just have put out a new press release? You would think. Right. And again, 88,000 is what everyone's saying until a few days out. Mm-hmm. That is the number everywhere as the approximate capacity, which makes sense because, like I said, about 6,300 on the field. You know, capacity in terms of fixed seats is, as everyone in the Detroit area knows from the NFL blackout rules, I forget the exact number, but it's uh, 80,600 something. So that takes you up to 80, not, you know, uh, excuse me, 87,000 or thereabouts. So makes sense, right? Yeah. Well, on the business and attendance topic, though, now we go to a source we've never used before and probably will never use again. Crane's Detroit Business from Crane Publications, who owns Ad Age and a bunch of the trades in their archives. Wrestlers stir mania mega bucks by Bradford Wernie. No way that's his real name. For <laughs> Crank's Detroit Business. You don't you don't think that's the perfect name for a writer at a publication like Crane's Detroit Business, though? I mean, I mean, I mean he sounds like a, a name that it should have been in, uh, you know, FCW in 2009 or something like that. Bradford Wernie. Bradford Wernie managing Briley Pierce. <laughs> I mean, good lord. But anyway. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.